Everybody comfortable? Yeah. Get your ass up when I'm talking. Hey, take it easy. It's showtime. It's showtime. Yeah. Feel the magic and soul of the YBs. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Take two. Welcome to That Davis Show. I am your host, Kenneth Davis. Follow me at That's Davis. Follow the executive producer of the show, Ryan Bukovsky at Ryan B. Ski and Ryan B. Ski one on Instagram. We got nothing but football for you today, and I know you love that. All right, we're going to go off. Oh, baby. We're going to finish up our previews with the preview of the AFC South and the AFC North the NFC South and the NFC North. In particular, of course, the NFC North meaning something near and dear to Ryan in my heart with our beloved Bears going into this season and thinking about what the hell is going to take place here in Chicago. So we got a lot of football to jump into. So let's jump straight into that AFC South with your thoughts, Ryan. What are your thoughts on the AFC South? Um, I think uh, you got two bottom feeders for sure in the Texans and the Jaguars. But I guess if you're the Texans, your big thing is when do we trade Deshaun Watson? Maybe that's the big thing that they're looking forward to. We'll figure out kind of the direction that their franchise is going to go in terms of a rebuild moving forward in the future. Because they got pretty, uh, pretty nothing. After uh, after Bill O'Brien did his work there as general manager, giving away draft picks, giving away players. So uh, I expect the, the Texans to be down for some time. And, you know, just a random thought. I was thinking they're the most recent expansion team, right? And they are coming up on their 20-year anniversary. They, they started on, what, like 2003, 2004? I was just kind of randomly thinking, like, we've almost got to the point where no one's going to ever remember that there wasn't, like, 32 teams in the NFL. Right, right. definitely. I mean, I, I remember the expansion draft. I, and I, the thing that always sticks out, sticks out for me is the fact that I know one of the players they took who at this point wasn't great anymore was Tony Baselli, the former offensive tackle. Um, for the Jaguars, who was just, man, him and with Mark protecting Mark Brunel. Um, Baselli was a beast, but by the time he got to the Texans, he was worthless, and that's why Derek Carr was getting his brains beat in as far as getting sacked all the time. Um, I, I, I would say this, too. Speaking of the Texans, one thing that we did find out, and we already knew, uh, Tyrod Taylor's been named a starter. Um, they announced that, I believe, today or yesterday. Um, yeah, that's a woeful team. The Jags are a situation where the only thing, only reason you're there is to watch uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence get his his head smashed in. Unfortunately, I, I, the kid is phenomenal, but that line is so questionable, and that head coach is questionable. Along, I mean, Urban Meyer is learning on the job, and I don't know if that's what this kid necessarily needs. Are uh, you looking? And at he's the, the other one too, right? Like, uh, how good is Urban Meyer going to be? Like, I mean, we'll see the progress that he makes. As of right now, I would say not that good because he came into the NFL thinking that he could run it like a, a college team. And instead of trying to come into the NFL and learn how to do it properly the, the way that most coaches in the NFL do it. Um, so, I mean, right now, I mean, just look at the, the, the issue with the strength and conditioning coach. Dan yeah. dragging Tebow, bringing Tebow out of retirement mm-hmm. for no reason. Um, just stuff that Stepping we... You, with the COVID thing. 
right? You just stuff you didn't need. You don't you don't need these distractions from your coach, especially a coach who's trying to get his feet wet on another level of football. So that was just ridiculous. Then you look at the Colts who I mean, they have everything but a quarterback. And the question is how healthy will Carson how how soon can Carson Wentz get healthy? But also what are you going to get out of them? I mean, right. they're not. I don't think they're asking for a ton, ton. I mean, they're not asking just for average. They want more something sports special than average. Um, but that's well, you're be hoping for more than what Philip Rivers gave you last year, and he, he wasn't bad, and he he led them to a very competitive game against the Bills last year in the playoffs. But they need they that was clearly their thing holding them back. Like you said, they've got everything else in place. Can they get a guy that like is a threat to be a quarterback like how Carson Wentz was that MVP year, or at least something similar to it that's higher than Philip Rivers? Right. And you're also hoping that Quentin Nelson is going to be healthy. I mean, with both of these guys having fractures in their foot, uh, Wentz and Nelson, I think one thing that we're just assuming that they're going to come back and they're going to be fine, you know, and, and for the duration of the season. So that'll be interesting to find out. It, it, I feel like if the Colts quarterback situation was set, we would really be amping them up. You know, it'd be mm-hmm. them versus Tennessee, which it should be them versus Tennessee. Then you look at Tennessee and they 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 lost um what's what's his name that used to play for? They lost to Janavion Clowney, who they brought in last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, question they marks did, at the offensive line. Question marks on the offensive line. They did bring in Julio Jones. So now as far as AJ Brown, you know, you may you still basically lean your coverage over towards AJ Brown, but you got a real threat on the side with uh Julio. Uh, we know, you know, Derrick Henry is a beast. Even we saw in the preseason against the Bears, without Derrick Henry playing, their motto is run that rock ruggedly. Right. You know, they get off the bus like that, which that uh, that works anywhere and everywhere in football as far as if you're going to play physical like that, you always have a chance on any given Sunday. So, I mean, clearly I think we all believe that the Tennessee Titans are the cream of the AFC South. Um, it depends on what Carson Wentz really does. That's really what it – if Carson Wentz is – a stud, they can they can dethrone oh, yeah. the Titans. You know what I'm saying? They can dethrone because they have a better defense than the Titans do. We know they have a better offensive line than the Titans. Uh, so if they can, if, if Carson Wentz can be 85% of what he was that year that he was about to win that, that MVP before blowing out his ACL in, 13, in the week 13, if he can be 85% of that, man, the Titans may have some trouble on their ass to say the least. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I guess for the Titans, if you want to see the opposite of the Carson Wentz is can that defense kind of match the output that their offense gives them? And it's not that their offense is just amazing world beaters, but, you know, it's a formidable group, especially when you get Derrick Henry really rolling. And by the fourth quarter, that offense really opens up. They get some big plays downfield and they control the clock with running the football with Derrick Henry. But their defense just can't rush the passer. They've done some good things in the secondary, but they've turned it over with a a lot of new young guys instead of those experienced veterans that they had before. So who knows what you're going to get kind of in that scenario. If Mike Vrabel can get that defense really rolling, I think that even with a good Carson Wentz, the the Titans would still have a shot at winning this division. It would be a really interesting race between those two, but their defense is why I don't love the Titans. I'm going to pick them to win the South, but it's it's a shaky win because I, I think Indianapolis, they're not going to go anywhere, and if Carson Wentz is just kind of meh 
that's still going to be a team that's going to be tough whether or not Carson Wentz is at that level. And if he does play at an elite level, a Pro Bowl caliber level, man, I mean, they might be a lot better than just the AFC South winners. True. Definitely true. I mean, I guess the question would be if Carson Wentz, depending on how well Carson Wentz plays, uh, could they be a rival to a team like the Buffalo Bills? You know what I'm saying? Mm Because I think we look at it being on tiers, and the, the tier number one is the Kansas City Chiefs. And then it's twos after the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC. And I think Buffalo leads that uh, probably Cleveland, too. But Cleveland hasn't proven themselves like Buffalo did last year. Cleveland probably has throw Baltimore all- there, too, depending. Yeah, on how you I, would, I would pull Baltimore a little lower because of some of the losses that they've had. You know what I'm saying? Like, also, I mean, you just looked at the, the situation where the receivers, Boykins, uh, Rashad, uh, Buzzman, Buzzman, Bozeman. Bateman, thank you. The kid out of Minnesota being hurt with the groin injury. Like, I remember seeing when he hurt himself in practice and uh, him going down. I mean, those are some things that, yeah, you could try to come back from, but those are nagging injuries, injuries that you may come roar his head again uh, throughout the season. So also some of the losses on offensive line, you, you got to thank Orlando Brown Jr., uh, being gone. I know they brought in Villanueva from, and I mean, I guess right now we can switch over to the AFC North. Uh, I guess right now they brought in, uh, they brought in, yeah, Bruno Weaver from the um, Pittsburgh Steelers. But I mean, he, the, when, he wasn't that with Pittsburgh anymore. You know what I'm saying? He's straight. But it's not like you replaced an all pro with an all pro. Uh, so that's just. It, it kind of reminds me of the Bears a little bit, but at least that they got a guy from left tackle shifting to right. Maybe right. that'll be a little bit easier for him. But I, I just had to get the parallel with the Bears in there because, of course, I'm thinking, like, oh, okay, we got a problem at left tackle. Let's get a right tackle that's never played there before and shove him out left. Bring in John Tate. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I'll say this going off into the AFC, of course. Uh, AFC North. The uh, Bengals are basically the bottom of the barrel, and they should red shirt Joe Burrow before they get him hurt. Uh, you look at, uh, and again, it's a small sample size, but uh, Chase out of uh, LSU has been dropping everything. All right, it was like you. All right, you know he's been dropping everything. Trying to get out uh, of Cincinnati right away, real quick, as fast as I can get out of here. <laughs> Faster than my forty time. Pittsburgh Pittsburgh has been Roethlisberger in no offensive line and Ben Roethlisberger is now like a poor man's Kurt Warner when it's all off of getting it out early you know it's like I, I gotta get rid of this bad this I gotta I gotta throw the ball away uh, before the defense can figure out which way I'm going with it because if I hold it on to it and they know where I'm going my arm is too weak to get the ball where I necessarily wanted to go with the defense already necessarily facing me or necessarily knowing where the receiver is about to go to try to receive this ball. Um, so that one, that feels sorry. Cause I think we all kind of love Pittsburgh. Um, I feel sorry because this is kind of one of those situations when you go so deep with the quarterback, it's kind of what happened with, and this is worse. It's kind of what happened with the, the, the Patriots and Tom Brady, where, the cap had gotten to the point where they had to basically suck to be able to get back into using some of that cap space again. You know what I'm saying? Some of the players that they had given all that cap space to, and that's why Tom Brady basically left. And uh, Ben Roethlisberger is basically still there. So, I mean, I, I know, you know what I'm saying, when you look at, you know, they, they, they definitely brought in a running back, uh, but you got to have an offensive line to open up holes for that running back. Um, the cream of this division is clearly going to be um, – Cleveland, Baltimore. Um, I want to go with Cleveland over Baltimore. 
I really do. Um, Baker Mayfield and his small sample size in the preseason look really good. Um, I just feel like Baltimore puts too much on Lamar Jackson. Um, and like it's all in. And I mean, I mean, I think everyone puts a lot on their quarterback, but just everything that he has to do and the, the percentage that he makes up of their offense with his feet and his arm. Um, I, I get leery of those situations and I hope he doesn't get hurt. Um, but I, I will go with it's hard for me to put Cleveland over Baltimore because Cleveland is always cap and hype. Um, but I mean, when you look at like what Nick Chubb did coming back from injury, I mean, just uh-huh. that two headed monster running back alone. Uh-huh. And then, of course, bringing in the run stopper and Davion Clowney to play opposite of Miles Garrett. You got Ward back healthy. They brought in the kid from North, I mean, from uh, Northwestern to play opposite him and Newsom. I mean, I do, they just too stacked for me to say they're not going to win a division. You know what I'm saying? Like it. They should win this. This Stefanski knows what he's doing. They should win this division with everything that they have. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I'm going to go Cleveland, Baltimore, uh, the Steelers, and then the lowly Bengals um, as far as my prediction for the AFC North. Yeah, not too dissimilar. I'm going to have the Bengals at the bottom. Just uh, too early in the rebuild for them to even kind of contend or it all be – much of a threat, even though I still really like Joe Burrow. Just hope he survives these next couple right. of years while they try to get him an offensive line. Uh, yeah, I like Pittsburgh to finish third. I mean, if Big Ben, you tell me that you can get a season out of him from like four or five years ago, they have an outside shot to win the division. But I don't think it's that's going to happen. Yeah, it's slim as hell. Uh, and we know with their offensive line, five new starters. Who knows how that's going to play out? Normally, that does not play out very well for teams that are just completely hitting the reset button on their offensive line. But the NFL is weird like that, where you can make it work. You know, with Mike Tomlin and his coaching staff, maybe they have some, you know, recipe for success that they can get five guys going. And if they can get that offensive line going, I think the defense. There's enough there that they can be pretty formidable, but I'm just not buying into the offense really being that much of a threat. And I don't think the defense is going to be so great that it's going to carry them. And I don't even know if they're the best defense in their own division. I think Cleveland might be the best Mm -hmm. defense in the AFC North, just with all their star power. I mean, especially you're expecting Miles Garrett to have just a crazy breakout season. Same with Denzel Ward. Some of the guys you mentioned, I think that they're very close. So I like Pittsburgh at three. I've been going back and forth on runner up and who's going to win it. I'm going to just go with Baltimore to win it. Mm. I like, I like everything about them, but I like what you said as well. They put a lot of pressure on Lamar Jackson to do everything for them offensively. They need to become more of a, a fluid and like lethal and potent offense. And it's not that they haven't been. It just seems like besides his MVP season, it's really been hit or miss with that Ravens offense. And they go through stretches of really good play and it happens to work out towards the end of the season is usually when they're playing their best ball. But they really really you know need to have like an ironed out offensive system in my mind where it just highlights Lamar Jackson and it gets him enough big plays offensively and doesn't put as much pressure on their defense to win but it's been tough because Cleveland I'm with you like I think 
Cleveland's all that hype train. And I think a little bit last year, they snuck up on people. They're not going to sneak up on anybody this year. Everybody's expecting the best from Cleveland. I, I still worry about some of those personalities on that team. If it's just like, hey, a couple bad weeks happen out, maybe Baker Mayfield struggles. Does Odell cause big scenes? And does that cause any divisiveness? But overall, I think Cleveland's going to be really good and they're just going to be right at Baltimore's heels. And certainly I think that they can win the division. They they got talent. You can't deny it. Like you said, they've got a lot of talent on that team. And really every level, offensive line, skill position, defensive line, linebacker, secondary. I mean, there's really no weakness. And Stefanski looked like he can coach. Mm-hmm. And listen, that's one of the things that's um, the benefit of having a quarterback on a rookie contract. You know, Baker's probably going to get paid after the season. But right now you can go out and you can sign all those players because Baker isn't making that type of money right now. Yeah. And like you said, that running attack, I mean, we talked about it with uh, your interview with Zach uh, Ostriker about uh, J.K. Dobbins going down. That's a huge loss for Baltimore. And then you got Chubb and Kareem Hunt. That's a that's a lethal running attack that the Browns have and they want to run the football. I mean, this is a this is a really black and blue type division this year. I mean, every team is going to be trying to run that rock and then it's just can they get enough out of their young quarterbacks or Ben Roethlisberger to, you know, make enough of an offensive strike downfield to do things. Kevin Ostriker, you mean. Kevin, sorry. Yeah, I just want just so we make sure we get it right. All right. Switching off to the NFC South. Um, what? The Tampa Bay? Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay. Um, look, Tampa Bay's loaded. All right, they brought back all 22 starters. Um, they're gonna be dangerous. They got Tom Brady as their quarterback. Their receiver unit is crazy, their running back unit is crazy. Their um, defensive line and front seven is crazy. You know, their right. defensive backs are a year older in the game. Um, well, Tampa's stupid. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, if this is a team that if we was playing Madden, it's almost to the point you can't even use Tampa. Listen, if, <laughs> if Tom Brady could run, you couldn't even use Tampa. It'd be like, nah, dog, stop. You know what I'm saying? You, you know that's not even fair, right? I mean, that's basically how loaded Tampa is on, on both sides of the ball and give acquiescing and giving everything as he deserves, Tom Brady deserves, um, make putting that franchise on his back. Um, the Saints made the I'll, – I'll say this. Anything with Jameis? Yeah, well, listen, googly eyes is going to have a nice year, all right, because um, he's going to be able to throw it in places that Drew Brees hasn't been able to throw it for three to four years now. You know, a part of the playbook they haven't been able to use is open. I, to me, um, Taysom Hill was never going to be the starter. And I still wonder, was part of the, well, I know partially Taysom Hill had been there, so he gets the first crack at starting, especially how Sean Payton had hyped him up as far as what happened last year when Drew Brees got hurt and the year before when Teddy Bridgewater was there and he was the starter. But the thing that I, th- I thought, and I, I know we've mentioned it on the show, was Sean Payton didn't want to have, have what happened with Teddy Bridgewater happen with Jameis as far as you know someone's team was going to come and make Teddy Bridgewater their starter. You know what I'm saying? So it, why even set up Jameis to where if Jameis wanted to stay, you were going to have to pay Jameis more money to keep him. So I believe he kept Jameis really 
off the field so that he could get here with Jameis without other any other teams trying to snag Jameis away because they hadn't seen Jameis put it together. You know what I'm saying? And gave Sean Payton the whole season to practice for Jameis to see what Drew Brees is doing, to talk to Drew Brees and to figure out how to become more of a, a check down guy instead of going for the home run, no risk and no biscuit. Um, I, Jameis is still going to turn over the ball sometimes. You know what I'm saying? It just shouldn't be as crazy. He actually... I, th- I think he never threw over 20 interceptions before the 30 interceptions. I think he had like, it was like 14 and 13 or something the years prior to that or something around there. Um, so if he can keep his his turnovers to maybe around 10 picks, if not lower than that, that's going to be a fantastic year. You see the connection that he has with the young receiver. Uh, forget the, the, the kid's name that I was watching that game when James threw the touchdown to him in the end zone. And I didn't think he, ca- he I didn't think he caught it. Right. I'm like, oh, OK. And then I'm like, I, I saw it through the flags. I'm like, wait, he caught that. Um, Jameis and Sean Payton should be dangerous together. I don't know if it can be a supreme team or just really, really good. Um, and, and so I'm saying I don't know for the long haul how long Jameis may be there. But if Jameis, I mean, he's still young enough. Um, he still has a cannon on his arm. He looks like he's in good shape. He's still an idiot. Um, Got a great yeah. offensive genius behind him. Great offensive genius trying to prove something. Also, Sean Payton wants to prove that, you know, I can do it with with Drew Brees or without Drew Brees. Um, so that, I feel like they should be the runner-up. I think Atlanta definitely should be the third team here. Um, Atlanta's caught with the, between a rock and a hard place with their decision not to turn over this roster and to hold on to Matt Ryan and not draft a quarterback. But you got Kyle Pitts there. You, you have um, uh, Calvin Ridley. So that passing game should still be good. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see what Arthur does as the head coach coming over from Tennessee as the offensive coordinator. Um, but I don't expect a lot from Atlanta. This is this is the NFC South, which before like the last couple of years, you know, was a new. Uh, some a new a different team won the division. Remember, it used to be for years it was always a different team that won a division. Um, we know that that's not going to be this year. It's going to be Tampa Bay, right. um, Carolina. They're moving in a positive direction, but they're, there's, there's nothing special about them. I don't, I don't know if Sam Darnold's the answer, and I'll be interested to watch this year and to see. Uh, he'll have Christian McCaffrey behind him, so that should definitely be easy for him. He's he's um, reconnected with with Robbie Anderson. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes, but I don't expect that much out of Carolina. This division is kind of like ho-hum compared to how it was five or six years ago. Um, it's, it's, it's all Tampa. You know, it, it, I know last year that the Saints won this division, so actually it will be a different team in Tampa when Tampa wins this division. Um, it just depends on what Jameis could do because, I mean, we, we forget how potent that Saints defense is. That Saints defense is nasty. You know, if you if you can provide the offense to keep them fresh and ready just to to haul off, they're 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 formidable. But the question is, Jameis, and, and if Jameis snaps, it's going to be an interesting. Day. I mean, NFC South between those two teams, between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints. Also, thinking about the fact that the Saints again can't play at, at the Superdome due to Ida and the shout out to everybody down there and the people on the East coast that have gone through this, this, this tragic situation. The people that have lost their lives and lost their homes are definitely not thoughts and prayers. For sure. Um, I, I really don't disagree with much of anything that you broke down with. I think Carolina, 
maybe could be better than Atlanta. I, I don't really know where Atlanta's at overall, but like you said, you still have some weapons for Matt Ryan. If they can protect them, you'd think that they could at least score a bunch. And maybe with that defense and some of the young talent that they still have, maybe they can be, you know, uh, not a 500 team, but five win team, something like that. Carolina, though, that Sam Darnold thing is it's going to be interesting because <laughs> they passed up on Justin Fields, as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, they Mac really, Jones. they really wanted him. They really wanted Sam Darnold when nobody else wanted. I'm sorry, him when I said that, I'm, I, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I blanked. I was thinking about it. Please continue. I apologize. Uh, I I like I guess seeing them against the Bears last year. I thought that they were just void of all talent and they played the bears really well. I was a little impressed by how, how they were compared to the talent that they didn't have on the roster. So I think they're going to be a, a, one of those tougher teams, but I expect them to either be right at the bottom or slightly above Atlanta. I'm kind of going back and forth in my mind. And then, uh, the saints possible wild card team. I think, uh, like you said, that defense, that's got to be the star of the show. But supposedly that guy that they traded for, Marcus Davenport, that gave Green Bay that extra first rounder, he's ready to go off. And if he is able to take that next step with some of their other defensive stars, you would think that they could be really, really formidable. And Jameis Winston, like you said, I mean, the guy does make plays downfield. It's not like he's ever had a problem pushing the ball downfield. He has a problem just turning it over maybe with a more concerted effort to run the football. And we know Sean Payton isn't going to be the type of coordinator or coach that's uh, influenced by Jameis that maybe he's had in the past with Lovey and I'm blanking on that offensive coordinator that he had that uh, ran the coup against yeah. Lovey and took over. Was um, it, it wasn't Cutter, was it? Yeah, Dirk Cutter. That's Dirk Cutter, right? Dirk Cutter, yeah. yeah. Um, Yeah, neither of those two guys had the offensive, I think, gravitas or just gravitas as a leader where you can just say, hey, we need to put the focus on the run game. But if Sean Payton wants to give it to Alvin Kamara a bunch and run a ton of play action and get James Winston a little more under control that way, maybe that's the way to go about it. And with that defense, it sets up perfectly. So they could be a a dark horse team, um, but... Man, Tampa with that town, they would have to get injured, 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 injured for them to not get there. And Tom Brady, I mean, he plays. He rarely doesn't play. We know Father Time, 43, whatever, going on 44 or 50, whatever it is at this point. But if he doesn't get hurt, he'll find a way to make it work offensively with something around him. And defensively... You know, they got a nice group of guys and that defensive coordinator that the Bears wanted to steal. Man, oh, man. I, Top I think, holes. Yeah, I think uh, I think no doubt about it that Tampa Bay is going to be the division winner. And oof, I, I guess side question, do you see this? Uh, I know we haven't talked about them yet, but I think we know who we're picking. You see this Green Bay, Tampa Bay rematch potential? I don't know as we switch off to the NFC North. Um, my question on that dance card. Well, is do you want to do the Sal or no? I'm sorry. You're right. Go yeah. ahead. Um, my, my thing is, <clears throat> you know, I love Aaron Rodgers. Right? Yes. But I don't I don't have a vibe from him yet on how the season is going to go. You know, and I mean, 
I think Aaron Rodgers can be micro enough to focus on the task at hand while we know that perhaps he's looking at the fact that this may be his, this is the last dance, as I heard people use that uh, phrase in talking about the Bulls documentary that came out last year. Um, I don't know when it comes to, I mean, I think Tampa's, I mean, not Tampa, I think Green Bay's definitely going to win the, the, the NFC South and North. Um, I don't know who's going to be the runner-up, which I will tell you in a minute. Um, well, maybe my heart's going to tell you. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I don't know. I just got to – I have to see. Because this is the thing. Can Aaron Rodgers have another MVP season? Yes, he can. He's not old, old. You know what I'm saying? Um, I just – I'm just interested in seeing it. You know what I'm saying? I don't know that – I mean, the NFC isn't the AFC, though where the AFC has teams, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, you have, for instance, we, 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 this, we've done every division. We've talked about how we feel about um, the Rams and the 49ers. Who so, the like, Packers will play the NFC West along with the Bears and everybody um, in the NFC North. And the rest of the NFC North will play the AFC West, too. So looking at it, Oh, I'm sorry, think, the AFC North. I'm sorry about that. I think the only threat that the Packers have out of knocking them out of the NFC Championship game are whatever team is going to dominate the, the NFC West. Because we know the NFC East is trash. Um, yeah, you hope Green Bay, it's not uh, San Francisco where they just run all over them. Right. So <laughs> that, 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 but so that, that's what I'm trying to say as far I don't know if if the Rams, I mean, I think we, we're still sleeping on what the Rams may have. Yeah. With the, no. with the, with the real quarterback for, for, for McVay. And they to played really, Green Bay tough last year with Jared Goff in the playoffs. With Jared, with Jared Goff. Now you have somebody in there that can get the ball all over the field. You know what I'm saying? And Matthew Stafford. But now sticking to the NFC North, my thoughts. Um, definitely the Detroit Kitties are going to be last. We all know that they're going to be pulling people down and biting off kneecaps and falling down again and biting off more kneecaps. As that coach Campbell has told us, um, I think where your knee protectors, where the, where double, all right, double those up basketball. The ones that Pat Patrick Ewing used to wear. <laughs> all right. Right. Um, all right. I got the Vikings finishing third. Now, this is maybe my heart. I'm not going to lie because I'm biased here. I got the Packers finishing third because I prefer the Bears QB situation to the Green Bay Packers quarterback situation. I got the Bears finishing second in the division. Um, they, 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 They may finish with the record similar to the Vikings and the Vikings may have the tiebreaker. Let me say that, too. It wouldn't surprise me, but I, I think the Bears, the Bear, I think the Bears have a better defense than the Vikings. If the defense plays up to to, to its optimum level, um, I, the offensively, the Vikings have a better offense than the Bears as of right now because of Matt Nagy. All right, so we're gonna see. I, I, and I, I sound silly saying we're gonna see what Matt Nagy does because Matt Nagy is basically showing us all his tricks and how he goes about running his offense. Um, but I think there's a chance, and this depends on Justin Fields' plan, that the Bears would be better than the Minnesota Vikings. The earlier, the better as far as Justin Fields out there for them to knock the Vikings 
off of the second runner-up in the NFC North. And as I said, I think the Green Bay Packers, are, this is their division. Um, the Bears, I mean, the Bears have played the Packers well at times. The Packers just always would win because the Bears couldn't get over the hump and get that final score. Um, so it'll be interesting to necessarily see um, what necessarily happens, but I, I definitely have the Packers winning the division and the Bears as a runner-up, but probably I should go with the Vikings, but my heart is telling me to go with the team that I love and that frustrates me like no other when it comes to the NFL. Uh, I got it the same way. Uh, Detroit definitely at the bottom. Minnesota, they got a lot of young talent because they're doing the opposite of what the Bears are doing in the draft. They're trading down and stockpiling, and they got tons of draft picks, and they're using those draft picks, and uh, they've gotten some guys like Justin Jefferson, really liked him last year. And yeah, I'm with you. I think that the the Vikings maybe overall as a roster, a little bit more complete, a little bit better, but they've also got some, some really big time issues that they're going to have to work out. And part of it is, you know, you got a new offensive line coach because their offensive line coach didn't want to get the vaccination. So he's right. out. You lost uh, Irv Smith and Cal Rudolph is gone. And uh, Christian Derisaw, their offensive lineman that they picked up, had core muscle surgery, so who knows when he's coming back. So you're kind of without your first-round pick. Uh, And Kirk Cousins isn't vaccinated, and that could be an issue all year long, potentially. Who knows? I mean, uh, obviously vaccination doesn't mean that you won't miss any football games, but... We don't know what it's going to be like with unvaccinated players and especially how they come back and how they have to stay away from everybody. I mean, that's the starting quarterback. You can't be isolated as the starting quarterback. You have to be a part of everything that's going on on the offense. And so, you know, is Kellen Mund ready, who is their second round pick to potentially step in and play some games for them? Also, Ryan, let's not forget. One quarterback can affect all the other quarterbacks. You could, you know, you could be in a situation like what happened with Denver last year when yeah. you have to bring out a wide receiver, practice squad guy to kind of run, try to run the offense. Like, I mean, maybe Kellen Munn is vaccinated, but it won't matter depending on when whoever in that room, let's just say uh, they do contract tracing. And let's just say it's, it's a, a, the day, two days before the game. It may not be enough time to get enough uh, negative uh, test results for you if you are vaccinated to be able to get out there and play. So, I mean, Kirk Cousins is opening them up to more risk than just the quarterback getting it. You may infect the backup quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. So, like, that, you know, uh, that's a great point, the fact that having an unvaccinated quarterback and the the type of – Danger it puts you in as far as forfeiting games or going into games with a rookie and Kellen Mund or whoever uh, behind cent- under center who necessarily isn't taking reps is not Kirk Cousins and is being thrust into the fire. That, but that's a great point you brought up. Yeah, I like the Bears quarterback situation a little bit better than Minnesota, and also too like Minnesota they've you know been pretty comparable offensively each year and each, uh, that they've been under Mike Zimmer. If Dalvin Cook's healthy, they're mm. going to be formidable. But if he's hurt whatsoever, they're in trouble big time. But the issue has been for them defense. Um, so it's kind of like a race. Can the Bears figure out offense before the Vikings figure out defense? Because whichever team probably figures out that weakness, the fastest is probably going to be the one best projected to take over that second spot in the NFC. And maybe that's a potential wild card. Uh, in the NFC North, if they're able to get that number two spot. 
for the Bears, uh, I'm very worried about them and their season at this point. Uh, I'm, I'm just not feeling good after cut day, seeing you know a few corners, and it's really just a bunch of guys. We'll see what it, what that defense does. Uh, I'm definitely worried about the secondary, and definitely got to be worried about the offensive line. And those are two very scary areas to be worried about going into a regular season. Um, but that being said, I think the quarterback room is a vast improvement over last season. And if they can figure out that offensive line, if they can get, you know, an offensive scheme going, I mean, when Nagy took over, it's not like we looked at Charles Leno and Bobby Massey as great tackles. We were very worried about them at the tackle spot. And we've been talking about the Bears potentially getting new tackies, new tackles under Matt Nagy for years now. So we'll see if maybe the scheme and how Nagy calls games can maybe uh, lower the need for just dominant great tackles. And maybe with all the speed they have on the outside, I don't know. But uh, overall, I think the Bears are going to be kind of where they've been about a mm-hmm. 500 team. Maybe slightly under because of the seventeenth game. Maybe they get to nine and eight uh, on a really good. A lot of guys stay healthy. Defense gets a lot of turnovers. Justin Fields impresses, but uh, the creme de la creme is obviously going to be Green Bay, and it's going to be an interesting year to see what they do against some of these top competition with the AFC North and NFC West. Because. You're right. In the NFC, there's not a lot of teams where I look at and I say, ooh, I really love that team. I think it's going to be one, two teams from the West, Tampa Bay and Green Bay. Right. That's pretty much your final four, I would think, in the NFC. Well, you know what that leads to? And and one thing you said I want to jump piggyback on as far as the Bears defense, uh, as far as the Bears offense and Minnesota's defense. One thing we know is Zimmer can coach defense compared to Matt Nagy coaching, coaching offense. So I'll give them the upper hand in that because we, he's proven that he can he can put produce a really good defense compared to Matt Nagy when it comes to to, to to the offense. I'll say this though, in us saying that it's basically Los Angeles Rams, the 49ers, uh Green Bay, and Tampa Bay, that that also just tells me that another team is going another team or two is going to jump up from somewhere that we don't expect. Um, and maybe it's Seattle. Is, maybe Seattle good. does something more than we're thinking at this maybe. point in time. Maybe, definitely, De- definitely Seattle. Uh, perhaps a team um, here in the NFC North. Perhaps if the Cowboys, if Dan Quinn yeah. has the Cowboys defense really better than what it was by switching the scheme up. Um, then but, you just look at Dak. How is that shoulder going to even hold up? Like, how long is that body going to hold up right now? I agree. I agree. So, someone's going to jump out. Some team's going to jump out that we don't expect. Could it be like the Cardinals? Right uh, are they a dark horse team? I don't believe in Cliff Kingsbury to that degree. And that's a tough division to right. be a dark I mean, horse in. Right. So, it could come from there, but. I don't know. You know, if they listen, were in we like the talking, NFC South or North, I would look oh, at that team as, but as a total. It, it could be the Vikings. You know what I'm saying? It could it could necessarily be the dark horse team is this year because Zimmer. Think about it. Zimmer turned over that off that defense last year. We're getting rid of the cornerbacks, right? So now trying to get these players kind of caught up in what he's running. Um, it could be, you know, you, 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 you talked about the addition of Justin Jefferson after trading away Stephon, Stephon Diggs. Um, again, they don't have their tight end is questionable now because Kyle Rudolph finally got out of there and then his replacement Irv Smith is out for the entire season. But 
it could be the Vikes may be the team that's the dark horse in the NFC that we're necessarily not paying enough attention to. But there's going to be some team or two in the NFC that at the beginning of the year we don't expect is going to have a pretty good record that's going to end this year with a pretty good record since we have only can really look at four teams right now are being the teams that we look at as being the cream of the divisions. I guess like – Conference, I mean. If Fitzmagic can give you a great season, I could see Washington oh, no, with the oh, talent. No. Not with Fitzmagic. I know that's that's, that's the only way. Mirrors. I, that's smoking mirrors. I'm trying to think of like teams that don't have an obvious like Minnesota's good for a dark horse team. I just don't know if there's that many in the NFC. I think there's a lot more in the AFC overall. Oh, yes, yes, because in the AFC one, damn near everyone has a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Right, like most teams in the AFC, you can you're better off counting the teams that don't have a quarterback rather than counting the teams that do have quarterbacks. All right, like yeah. it, it's easier to go that route. So that gives those teams an opportunity to be good every season, basically compared to some of the teams. That we're, we're basically looking at the teams with the quarterbacks in the NFC. I mean, outside of Seattle, you know what I'm saying? We're, we're right. Like, do you look at Jalen Hurts or Daniel Jones as one of those guys? Uh, that could not maybe Daniel Jones. I thought about Jalen Hurts, but still, like, they're in a transitional period. You know what I'm saying? They got um, some good defensive players if they could get that offense figured out. Right. But. If. If fifth was a fifth. But I, I did want to say perhaps the Eagles. It may be an NFC East team. Your guy, Gardner Minshew, takes over. For no. Jalen Hurts, but in 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 the, in, the, in the jorts, <laughs> he has to play in the jorts. All the rest of the equipment and jorts out there. Right? But, uh, Maybe Minshew Mania has infected Philadelphia. Listen, I think that that Eagles green with jorts under there, that blue hey. jorts, it, it looks hey, like love a nice them. uni. They love yeah, them. They, they 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 would. They would. Then like they would a, run it looks the like Mark Wahlberg from. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, but listen, why Philadelphia? Are they gonna be talking about? He looks like Boston. Uh, oh, because of Invincible, that okay, uh, okay, the okay, Wahlberg okay. Eagles movie. I got you. I got you. All right. Is there anything else? Did you any other points you had to get off your chest? How about we'll just get some Super Bowl matchups? Just get out. Um, go ahead, give yours. I still like Kansas City. They're just too hard to bet against with Patrick Mahomes and that defense. And you get some offensive linemen added to the mix. They're about as complete a team as you can get. Um, I just don't really want to go rematch. I mean, come on. The Chiefs are going to get back there three times in a row. Tom Brady's going to get there like 12 times and it's going to be a rematch. Like that just that doesn't feel right. I don't really I'm going to go with uh, I'll go with an outlier. I'll go with I'll go with the Rams. I was going to say, Red. oh, you took my team. How about the Rams? Because I was thinking Aaron Jeez Donald. Rams. I was thinking Aaron Donald versus Tom Brady. Like, if that pocket, if that pocket is smushed from the giddy up, it's like you're not stepping up. You're not climbing this pocket, buddy, because Aaron Donald is right there. Um, I the think great Leonard I, Floyd will pick him up on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say the Rams, too. I'll go Rams-Buffalo. Ooh. Patrick Mahomes gets hurt and Josh Allen carries the Bills to the Super Bowl. I, I'll go Rams Buffalo for my for, for my picks right, as of right now. I'm with you. I want to say Kansas City. I just got a feeling that I don't even want to say that that um Patrick Mahomes is gonna get hurt. I just think they're gonna have an off day. 
you know what I'm saying, in the playoffs. And it only takes one, right? I mean, they've yeah, been just, so perfect. Or they've had off days they were able to make up, make up for it. You know, you think about the Houston game. Where they, they, you think about the Super Bowl that they won last, like they, they had, I mean, he had an off game. Um, he, they just were able to catch up and run that team down. So I, I, I want to say that I, I want to go. I think Kansas City will be there, but I feel like they may, someone may knock them off in the playoffs. And I want to say perhaps Buffalo versus the Rams. I think, um, the Rams may be able to knock Tom Brady out of the NFC. And you know what? It's a good thing he came to the NFC with everything, all the power that's in the AFC with a slick ass. <laughs> he got that's out just in time. Like, he was looking around time. like, hmm. <laughs> like, I'm out. Deuces. That NFC, that's looking like the right. You're looking nice. Rest. You're looking nice, NFC. Looking re- ripe and ready to be oh, taken over. Oh, I can't over. play the Patriots. I need to go to the NFC. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, uh, yeah, so that's it. That's our that's our NFL previews broken down. We're going to have some more interviews uh, breaking down those divisions uh, coming up in the next week or so. Um, and it starts Thursday, Thursday night. We're going to have Cowboys versus the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, so we're going to see right away who's who a team that should be in the NFC South versus the team that's going to win the NFC South. And then we're going to see our uh, Super Bowl favorites uh, go against the Bears on Sunday. Right. So, uh, yeah, it it definitely is going to be an interesting week. We'll be back next week to break down the Bears game and tell you our opinion of what we saw and what we expect with the following game. Uh, Make sure you stick here throughout the season. We're going to have a lot of great content for you moving forward and guests and everything as we double down and recommit to bringing you some excellence. We always appreciate it. And Ryan always does a, a terrific job. So as always, you know, don't do anything stupid before you hear from us again um, and, and be safe. Everybody comfortable? Yeah. Get your ass up when I'm talking. Hey! Take it easy. It's showtime. It's showtime. Yeah. Feel the magic and soul of the YBs. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Take two. Welcome to that Davis show. And today we're joined by Kevin Allstriker. Follow him at K Allstriker as I asked him 34. Let me put the 34 on there. Wait, what's the 34 for, Kevin? You know, honestly, it was just a, I created my Twitter username and I can't remember 2012, 2013. I was young and I just wanted to put numbers on there. So it really does have no symbolic meaning or anything. They're just numbers. All right. I didn't know if it was a player's uh, numbers because no. <laughs> I was thinking about prominent Baltimore Ravens that wore the number 34. Right. Well, now it'll be Tyson Williams. <laughs> OK, OK. We, we, we haven't gotten the Tyson Williams heat out here in the Midwest just yet. Uh, <laughs> But listen, everybody, make sure you check out his work. He's the host and producer of uh, Locked On Ravens and also the managing editor of the Ravens Wire. So make sure you always check out and follow him. We we like the Ravens around here. They're a gritty team, so we like them in the Midwest. And I've been following that team since they were the Browns, so that'll let you know how old I am. All right. But how are you doing today, Kevin? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk some football with you. 
Definitely, definitely. So listen, unfortunately, let's get into some of the injuries. All right. And, and, and I, these these are the short injuries that we know right now we're dealing where if you place players on the IR, they can come back in three weeks. So when you're looking at because I think one of the things when you are talking about the Ravens a lot, one of the focus offensively is the wide receivers. Um, right. So you're looking at that 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 new rookie that you guys got out of Minnesota, Rashad Bateman, and his groin and Miles Boykin and his hamstring. Um, what do you expect Really, one from the injuries, but also from the offense when it comes to to to, to the passing game. Uh, Mar- Marquise Brown, um, I don't know if he's been used properly, and I, I mean this from the aspect of that type of receiver, not necessarily just what Harbaugh is doing with him, right. but just how you you know, like when you when they acquire when they drafted him, you would look at it as perhaps he's an X, where he seems more like that's probably not the best way to or X or y, X or Y, but that or Z rather. That's probably not the best way to perhaps use him. Maybe he's a slot gadgety guy. But what do you t- what do you think about when you think about the receiving situation for the Ravens? Because for me, on the outside looking in, that's one place that I really feel like GM wise, you guys, the Costas kind of failed you all. Yeah, over the past couple of years, it's been it's been a tough journey, I think, especially for Lamar Jackson. He has not gotten the weapons around him that he's needed. I mean, you look at what Josh Allen got in Buffalo last year with Stephon Diggs and what Kyler Murray got in Arizona with DeAndre Hopkins. They didn't really make that move for Lamar Jackson. You know, there have been conversations about Allen Robinson and Julio Jones and Michael Thomas, but I think what the Ravens did was okay. And I think this year, there's no secret, the passing offense does have to be better. And this, that doesn't mean that the Ravens are going to all of a sudden throw the ball 50 times and they're going to be this air raid offense. But the run game feeds off the pass game and the pass game feeds off of the run game in the NFL. So when you look at it that way, Marquise Brown, I agree, he wasn't being used in the right way. I don't think he definitely is more of a slot guy to me, but the Ravens did not have a bunch of outside receivers on their team last year. So they were using Marquise Brown outside and they were using Devin Duvernay outside some their true only outside guy was Miles Boykin who hasn't been able to get on the same page as Lamar Jackson. So now that you can move Marquise Brown into the slot this season, I think is such a good thing for this team because now you do have Bateman, you have Sammy Watkins there as well, both who can shift around and play on the outside or on the inside. But it gives you that flexibility that you don't have to put Marquise Brown, who's a bit small stature, on the outside, and he can go do his work in the slot. Bateman, someone who I love coming out of this draft in 2021, I thought for the positional value, the need, he was the best guy for the Ravens at that 27 position. I, don't, I didn't think they were going to trade up for Jamar Chase or Devonta Smith or any of those guys, but Bateman is a smooth route runner, can beat you deep. He's not a burner, but he can beat you deep, and it's just an all-around, very well-rounded player. Watkins, there were rumors about Juju Smith-Schuster and T.Y. Hilton, but Watkins is already bought into Baltimore, and I think giving Lamar Jackson those weapons alongside Brown, alongside Mark Andrews, I think Gus Edwards is going to be better as a pass catcher out of the backfield. I'd expect good things, but... The one caveat here for me is the Ravens receivers are going to have to gel with Lamar Jackson. You mentioned the injuries. Those guys have been out for a while. Bateman won't be available for the first three weeks at least. Same thing with Boykin. So they're going to have to step up. Guys like Brown and Watkins and even those guys are just now returning to practice. So it could take a couple weeks for everybody to get on the same page. But once they do, I think this offense is going to be so much better throwing the football. Look, you, you kind of perturb, you kind of peaked something in my mind. One, Allen Robinson was, is not going there. How dare you, sir? <laughs> uh, but no, no. I'm, 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 a, I'm a Lamar Jackson fan. 
But from the outside looking in, and you kind of talked about some, look at what happened as far as Stefan Diggs, uh, even Emmanuel Sanders ended up in Buffalo. Um, is, is there, is it part of it due to the offense and the offense is successful, but due to the fact that you have a quarterback who is basically 70% of the offense almost, mm-hmm. is it a situation where some receivers, especially high profile receivers, that, that may not be the first place on their set destinations because they're looking to get high numbers. One, because it, it gets, it gains them accolades, but also just in future contracts, it allows them to go out and validate their worth when they're negotiating with other teams. Is that part of the issue when it, when it comes to uh, attracting a top flight receivers to come and play in Baltimore? Yeah, I don't think it's out of the question at all. You know, there, there are different goals that different players have in this league, whether it's to win, to get personal statistics, get accolades, future Hall of Fame career. So if there's a player who sees the Baltimore offense and then they see uh, the Pittsburgh offense or the Kansas City offense and they say, well, I know I'm going to catch more balls in Pittsburgh or Kansas City than I am going to in Baltimore and still have a pretty good chance to win. I'm sure that might have happened once or twice. I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster did say that the Ravens offense, you know, he loves Lamar Jackson, but he alluded to the fact that it might be a bit run heavy for him. So I think it's certainly that. But John Harbaugh also made it a point in a press conference before free agency to say, look, we're not going to beg anybody to come to Baltimore. If they want to come and play in our offense, that's awesome. But if they don't, then I think he said something along the lines of we look forward to playing you. So it's, <laughs> it's stuff like that where the Ravens believe in their system. The Ravens kind of zigged while the rest of the league zagged and went in a completely different direction. The league is definitely more pass heavy now than I think it's ever been. And the Ravens are going back to that ground and pound offensive style. So it's about the guys who buy into the culture. And Sammy Watkins is one of those guys. He said that he already is so excited to play with Lamar Jackson. I don't think it's an indictment of Jackson as a player and how he's viewed around the league, but I think Mm -hmm. it's more of the offense. And for the players who do want to catch more footballs and catch more touchdowns, I don't blame them for doing that, but Baltimore might not be their top choice. Listen, sticking with the injuries, and unfortunately, you had J.K. Dobbins go down, um, especially like one of the things here in Chicago, whenever Justin Phillips plays, uh, one of the, the, the great things that takes place when you have a running quarterback or a quarterback that uses the run is it opens up the run game for other running backs because you, you can't necessarily just gear down and put eight in the box to stop that running back. You don't know what's going to happen with that quarterback. And when you look at the fact that J.K. Dobbins is looked at as being a top three natural run in the NFL now uh, to lose him for a team with championship aspirations. Was there any blowback? And I know he only had 23 plays and he only had 10, uh, 10 actually touches in the preseason. Was there any blowback to John Harbaugh? And uh, how do you replace that production? You mentioned Gus Edwards as far as catching the ball. We know he's a bruiser and we know I know you have Tyson Williams and Justin Hill. But those guys, I mean, that seems like asking a lot. You know what I'm saying? So what do you do to replace J.K.? And was there any any type of frustration with John Harbaugh having him out there during the preseason, even though it was a fluke injury? Right. There, there was definitely frustration. There, It was kind of the tale of two sides, though. It was, why do you have the starters playing in the preseason versus the starters need game reps? And I don't have a problem with starters playing in the preseason. I think it's important for them to go out there and get some live game reps. And football is a game where injuries happen anywhere. You know, practice, preseason, regular season, playoffs. They can happen on any given play because that's just the nature of football. The Stobbins injury could have happened the first play of week one. It would have been the mm-hmm. same thing. 
But the the way the three preseason game format versus the four preseason preseason game format is pretty interesting because what we used to see was the third preseason game in that four preseason game format was the game where the starters played the most. They would get a quarter or a half. And then in the final game, which was that fourth one, the starters would not play whatsoever. So I think, in my opinion, the final preseason game is one where I wouldn't have had the starters in there. I understand that, you know, if you get them in the first and the second game, that's awesome. Ramp them up to the second, then in the final one, just kind of let them relax and rest up till week one. But different teams are going to approach it different ways. You can never tell when an injury is going to happen. And this was this isn't me seeing it in hindsight and saying, oh, well, they got injured. I don't think they should have done it. I was saying the whole previous week, look, I wouldn't have been shocked if they were to, to do it because their guys did not get a lot of practice time together because of all the injuries. So mm. now how do you replace J.K. Dobbins going down? Because that's now a reality this team does have to face. Gus Edwards now elevates to that lead back. He'll get a lot more of a workload. I don't think he's going to be a workhorse, like 100% of the carry type guy because Tyson Williams is going to be able to take a lot of that workload away based off of what he saw or what he showed in the preseason. Justice Hill also has been dealing with an ankle injury and didn't really show a ton in the preseason, but with the Dobbins injury, it did open up the spot for him. So all in all, I think that the Ravens do have the guys to replace Dobbins, but you're going to miss the balance. You're going to miss the cutback ability. You're going to miss the vision, the speed. It's it's a brutal loss for the offense, but luckily the way the offense operates already, it doesn't truly rely on just one guy. So it's not like this injury is going to completely derail their Super Bowl chances, but it does definitely hurt. That David so with Kevin Ostracker, producer and lock of the Locked On uh, Ravens podcast and manager editor of Ravens Wire. Follow him at K Ostracker thirty four. Listen, speaking of departures, uh, you guys had a pretty big one, and I mean, I'm sure Kansas City enjoyed it. But you're looking at Orlando Brown Jr. being gone. I know Ronnie Staley Stanley is back, but thinking about that run game and now having a, a, a run greater in, in in Orlando Brown Jr. gone. Um, what? How do you think one protection for, for uh, uh, Lamar Jackson? but also just the running. How do you think you guys are going to kind of grade out with the loss of Orlando Brown Jr.? And I guess what additions, do you have enough additions to fill such a, a, um, a talented tackle? Yeah, I think the Ravens did do enough to replace Orlando Brown Jr., but this offensive line would no doubt be better with him. And it's unfortunate because this wasn't a, a situation where Brown was upset with the organization or didn't like his teammates and wanted out. He just wanted to fulfill his father's dream Orlando Brown senior of him playing left tackle at the NFL level. That was a dream that his father had for him for the longest time. And there are stories out there that he told a lot of people, one of them being Orlando Brown junior youth football. His dad went up to his coach and told him, if my son is not playing left tackle, put him on defense. And, you know, that's just how much that meant to him. And, the opportunity to play left tackle when Ronnie Stanley goes down with that injury, I think kind of pushed that forward for him because he showed that not only can you play right tackle at a high level, but he can do it on the left side as well. So the Ravens weren't going to give up their left tackle spot because Ronnie Stanley does occupy it. He's one of the best when he's healthy. But moving on there, Orlando Brown Jr.'s loss, you mentioned it, very, very good run blocker, can move out in space. He, he's gotten better at it. He's not the most athletically gifted guy, but he's huge. He's so tall and, you know, he's not going to, beat anybody with speed to the second level, but he can definitely maul you. And now with his loss, the Ravens bring in Alejandro Villanueva from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Definitely a downgrade, and Villanueva is also moving from left tackle to right tackle, so he's been adjusting to that, which is no easy adjustment for anybody. 
Right. And he's gotten better. The first preseason game definitely struggled in the refs that he had, but he looked better in the second and third games. The Ravens also bring in guard Kevin Zeitler from the New York Giants, who has been as steady as anybody in this league. The Ravens were kind of still filling their retirement of Marshall Yonda last year. That, that was a tough blow for them. He's a future Hall of Famer, one of the best in NFL history. So Zeitler should be able to come in and, and provide them a boost at right guard. They're moving Bradley Bozeman from left guard over to center. Bozeman played that during his college career at the University of Alabama. It was a good one there, too. And the reason they're doing that is because they have not had very good center production in recent years. They've struggled with snaps. Matt Skura, Patrick McCarry. In that Buffalo game, Lamar Jackson got concussed because of a bad snap from a center. So the Ravens are going in and just trying to find those upgrades. Left guard is a a bit of a rotation right now. It should probably be Ben Powers, but factoring in the loss of Brown and what the Ravens brought in on the offensive side of the ball and the offensive line, this is a huge group. Each guy is just massive as a human being, and they're going to impose their role in the run game for sure. But where I expect there to be a little bit of of an upgrade is in the pass protection. Lamar Jackson in some games was running for his life. Couldn't get anything, especially in the Buffalo game. A lot of people blame Jackson for that loss, but he just two seconds and there were five people in the offensive backfield. So with the strengths that the pass protection should offer this year. And plus the run game, I think it'll be a better year for the offensive line, but again, it definitely would be better if Orlando Brown was in there with him. Kevin, let's focus on the guy under center while we're talking about the offensive line, and that's Lamar Jackson. Um, there's been a little slander coming out, uh, a couple of teams saying that, you know, they figured him out, quote unquote, which would be interesting to see this season. Um, what are the expectations? Because, I mean, clearly he's proven the doubters wrong. Um, but then you had the situations where incrementally he's getting better in the playoffs, but you, you don't have that necessarily splash. You hope perhaps this year will be the splash where all the naysayers can just go to hell, basically. Uh, but what are the thoughts as far as people saying that perhaps the league has figured Lamar out? Yeah, well, Lamar said himself he touts it. You know, he was asked that exact question. He, the, the comments were brought up and he said, yeah, I doubt it. And I mean, I, I agree. Well, I think what people have figured out is that he's he's very, very hard to stop. Now, he can be stopped, but he's 30 and seven as a starter over the course of his NFL career. His first NFL season fully as a starter. He won the second ever unanimous MVP in NFL history. So a lot of people took that MVP season and I think saw his 2020 numbers and were like, he's he's regressed terribly. He's awful, which a lot of people can't multiply unanimous MVP seasons year after year after year. There's going to be some statistical regression, but he improved in efficiency on some areas. You saw good red zone efficiency. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the red zone in the entire NFL. He's good from the pocket. He's able to work off play action. So I think people are still feeding into the narratives, which are honestly kind of tired at this point because he deserves criticism for some of the things that he can't do well right now. You know, he's not just completely, you know, not he's not able winning to winning from the pocket. Right. Exactly. He's totally, totally winning from the pocket. Not to say that he he doesn't make plays from the pocket. But if you if if the run was taken away, just taken away from him, which they can't, but you still get what I mean, that he still hasn't just progress from the point that he could just eviscerate you from the pocket, basically. Right. He's he's not he's not safe from all criticism for sure. And and mm-hmm. he does have room to grow as a passer. He's not the best passer the NFL has ever seen in their history. But I think the whole, all right, we're going to figure him out this year. I mean, we heard that last year and the Ravens struggled a bit to start the season off or not to start it immediately. They beat the Browns 38 to six, but they struggled to find their identity. Once they found their identity, it was off to the races. They won their final five games after that whole COVID thing where they pretty much had to put 20 players on the COVID list and play with a lot of backups. 
So after that, the Ravens found their identity. Lamar Jackson came back, and that's what happened. But I do think that the notion of figuring him out, yes, you can stop him, but it's extremely hard to do so. And and he's shown time and time again that he's played at this next level. And we don't hear that stuff with guys like Josh Allen or guys like Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield. You know, we hear it a bit. It's not, not out there, but I think it's so magnified with Lamar Jackson that sometimes the criticism that he deserves becomes stuff that's undeserved because people are just feeding into narratives that frankly don't exist anymore. Yeah. Since basically he was at Louisville, they're feeding into those, those narratives. Listen, is there a fear though? Um, Cause he's, he's going to get his contract. That was not, there's no reason. I don't even want to debate whether he's going to get his contract. He'll, <laughs> he'll get his contract. Right. But, but I think the real question is the second contract. And what I mean by that, Kevin, is there a feeling that this window is shorter all right, because I mean, like here in Chicago, uh, we're talking about Justin Fields for 15 years, basically, mm-hmm. um, because we, we even though he's a running quarterback, there, there's 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 some trace that seems like he's he's running the throw rather than running just to run. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm comparing that to, to Lamar kind of you look at what happened as far as Cam being released by released by New England that, you know, they overused Cam with the, what the Panthers did. And I, I, used, I, I used to be frustrated with how many design runs they had for Cam, especially as Cam had been in the league for like seven years. Right. Because you can have, you know, four design runs. Cam's going to run another five times just yep. on broken plays. So you're going to get to 10 runs in that quarterback. But when you design 10 runs and he's going to get get another seven runs, you're almost giving him 20 carries and consistently for a quarterback, that's an issue. Is there a fear with Lamar that this window is shorter if he doesn't learn how to totally dominate from the pocket? Or not say dominate, but when when things go wrong, he can definitely get it done from the pocket. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's been any voice concern about that yet. I, I know what people are saying is that his play style isn't sustainable. And most of that talk comes from, well, he's going to suffer an injury at some point, right? Well, mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson hasn't suffered a pure physical injury and missed a game because of a pure physical injury during his entire NFL career. He's had a couple small, tiny things that haven't forced him out of any games. And that's kind of the thing where people are saying, well, his play style isn't sustainable because he's going to suffer a major injury and his athleticism is going to go away. And it's those types of things. But in terms of how the Ravens use him and if he can sustain this stuff without completely dominating from the pocket, I mean, I think he can because he's still growing. He's only 24 years old right now. Mm and still has a long way to go. And I think he's learned from some of the past successes and failures of very successful mobile quarterbacks. You know, Robert Griffin III was his teammate for a couple of years in Baltimore, and and he taught him a lot. He's talked to Michael Vick before. He can take some of the stuff that Cam Newton did and didn't do. And right now, his first year, his rookie season, when he was starting those games, he didn't do a wonderful job of protecting his body. He he was diving for extra yards and kind of getting like two extra yards and taking a crushing hit. But he's now learned to slide, to get out of bounds, to protect his body, which a lot of people love to see because, you know, for two extra yards, taking a potentially big crushing hit that can leave you injured for months or, or even years is not worth it at all. So he's learned to do that in, I think, a very positive way. And as he's growing as a passer, getting into the stuff. And also, I know Greg Roman has taken a lot of heat for what he's done with the offense right now, the offensive coordinator for Baltimore. 
Mm-hmm. You know, former players, Des Bryant has been very vocal about how if the playbook is opened up for Lamar Jackson, he can dominate throwing the football. And so I expect that to happen a bit more this year because Greg Roman is certainly feeling some type of pressure. He is a very good run designer guy for an offensive coordinator. But passing, we've seen the drop off in his offenses each and every year where he has one great season with a great offense, whether that's in San Francisco or, or mm-hmm. Buffalo, where he was previously. And then the the next couple of years, the offense just takes a nosedive. So he's feeling that pressure. I think the playbook's going to open up. They'll be more creative. They didn't really show a lot in the preseason because I don't think they should have, honestly. That's not the time to open your whole playbook up. But if Jackson can continue to improve and continue to protect his body, I think he has a place in this league for a long time. That Davis show host and producer of Locked on Ravens, Kevin Ostriker, is joining us right now. Uh, look, one uh, real on a side note, if – if Greg Roman doesn't get it done this year, will John Harbaugh be looking for a new offensive coordinator before someone comes before Eric DaCosta comes knocking at his door? Or wait, does Ozzy get to still knock on doors because of what he did in the past? Okay, <laughs> Ozzy, Ozzy's still there, but it's <laughs> it's definitely the DaCosta show in Baltimore now. And and look, if the Ravens get off to a bad start this year, I'm, I'm talking I don't know two and three, one and four, probably worst case there. I think there's a significant change that will happen, and that change is probably Roman because the Ravens have James Urban right now, who's their quarterback coach, waiting in the wings. I think he'd be a perfect fit for that offensive coordinator. Not I'm not saying Roman isn't, and he can't turn it around and everything that he's been doing, but there, there's something that would have to give in that situation because Baltimore's schedule over the back half is extremely difficult. They have five of their last seven opponents being division rivals, and the other two that aren't are the Green Bay Packers and Los Angeles Rams. So that that's a tough schedule. Early on, they play the Raiders and they play the Lions and the Broncos. So teams who can, you know, they're all football teams, they're all competitive, but those will be a bit easier than over the back half. So if the Ravens get off to a slow start then, they won't afford or they can't afford to drop any games later in the year. So that's why I think Roman could be feeling some pressure and some heat. And if the Ravens drop a couple games early that they should win or the offense struggles and, and the past concepts are still bland and the offense is still struggling a bit in that regard, I think the Ravens could definitely make a change pretty early in the season. And this is a team, I, I don't want people to forget that late in their Super Bowl year in 2012, 2013, they fired Cam Cameron in like December. And they replaced him with Jim Caldwell. They went on to win the Super Bowl. So they're not afraid of making changes midseason. And I think it's something that could be considered if the offense gets off to a slow start and the Ravens stop, start losing games early. Kevin, you, listen, I mentioned Ozzie Newsom, who is a legendary talent evaluator. And Eric DaCosta has been there for, what, like 10 or 15? He's had an opportunity to leave several times. Yep. I think even the Bears were, was interested in him like yes. a decade ago. Yep. Or before before Ryan Pace, perhaps, they got Ryan Pace. Or it may have been before even Ryan Pace. Uh, I forget who we had before Ryan Pace. Uh, um, it doesn't matter because he sucked. Uh, but listen, I'm gonna, <laughs> let me ask you this, though. It has you have you noticed any difference in drafting and pro personnel since Ozzy has taken a step back or has it basically been status quo as far as the players they're bringing in from the pro from professional side and from the draft? Phil yeah, Emery, yeah. too. It's Phil Emery was the GM. There it is. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny because you can definitely see some similarities between DaCosta and Newsom. Definitely stuff that kind of like rubbed off on DaCosta from Newsom. And and er, er, Ozzy Newsom's a legendary, you know, one football player, two general manager. Yes. But with DaCosta, I think there's a bit more aggression, which isn't bad sometimes. It isn't good other times, right? Everything has the good and the bad attached to it. But what I mean by that is, again, Eric Acosta is not afraid to make changes midseason. I think the, the example I'll use is in 
2019 during that MVP season, the Ravens dropped two games in a row. You know, they did not lose a game after week four when they dropped that 40 to 24. I think the final score was to Cleveland. There were guys struggling all over that defense. After that game, the, the Ravens get rid of Tim Williams, who was a promising third round pick a couple years ago. They bring in Josh Bynes and LJ Fort, two inside linebackers to help shore up that unit that was struggling. Week seven, they acquire Marcus Peters and a steal of the trade for a fifth round pick and linebacker Kenny Young. So they pretty much they didn't overhaul their defense, but they were using different pieces right in the thick of the middle of the season. It was still kind of early, but, you know, those are the types of things that Eric DaCosta is not afraid to do. They also brought in defensive tackle help help when injuries struck in week 12. And in the draft, I think we're seeing a lot more maneuvering up and down the board, which is something Ozzie Newsom did do. But he's not afraid to draft just like Ozzie Newsom wasn't for best player, as well as guys who they think are going to be fits on this team. Now, that works out. And it also doesn't. One of those ones that didn't. Ben Mason, the fifth round fullback out of Michigan. I was going to ask you about him. Right. He was coming. Yeah. A lot of people did not like that pick, myself included. And that does not mean Eric DeCosta is not a great general manager. But everybody makes mistakes sometimes. And that was definitely one of them. I thought Mason would be available as an undrafted guy, but you never know in the draft. You know, if a guy likes a team, if a team likes a guy and you don't have a pick after, which the Ravens didn't, they wanted to do that. But Mason was too similar to Patrick Ricard. And look, the Ravens had to cut their losses. They wanted him back on the practice squad, it seemed. And Ben Mason said, no, thank you. I'm going to New England. And it kind of made a lot of people upset in Baltimore, I think. You know, to me, it's not, I mean, look, there's no obligation with organizations or with players. You know, the players are free to choose to do what they want. Same with right. the organizations. So for people saying, oh, he shouldn't have left, he shouldn't have left. I mean, he had the right to do it if he wanted to. So those are the types of picks where sometimes it doesn't work out. But overall, I think DaCosta has been very good. The 2019 draft, a bit of question marks there between Boykin and Justice Hill and Jalen Ferguson. And the Ravens took Marquise Brown over guys like A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf, who I had rated high. But that doesn't mean Brown isn't a good player. It just means that not every team hits on every pick, which, I mean, happens all the time in the NFL. So between Ozzy, between Eric DaCosta, I think that the team has gone from great to great when looking at their general managers. I was giving the Ravens front office kudos. I uh, host of the Bears uh podcast for NBC Sports here in Chicago. And I was talking about the fact that when the Bears release the players, they end the backup on the practice squad. But for instance, like if Baltimore releases some somebody, it seems like Bill Belichick likes <laughs> from you, ben, ben Mason, you have Sean Wade. I know right. you guys traded him there. And also, and then I'll, I'll get to this part too, uh, just bringing in Matthew Judon, but I'll get to that in a second. But it, it, it's, it's, it must feel good that someone that is intelligent in football as Bill Belichick seems to have a liking to the type of talent, as I was asking about Eric DaCosta a second ago, he seems to have a liking or an affinity for the talent that you guys either release or at least come to get the trade or take a player in as a free agent. That has to feel good as far as the quality that you have in your front office. Oh, absolutely. And it's it doesn't even go to Belichick. I mean, for a long time, the New York Jets have been referred to as the New York Ravens. Yeah, they take Scott, every, yeah. every single player, you know, CJ Mosley and, and all these guys. So it, it, it does feel good to know that teams do value what the Ravens or who the Ravens bring in. For example, just this past day or a couple days ago, the Ravens got rid of both Nigel Warrior, who's a defensive back, and Nate McCrary, who's a running back. Both guys, everybody wanted them on the practice squad and they both got claimed. There were a few who did make it through waivers, but I wouldn't be surprised if throughout the season we saw teams call up guys from the Ravens practice squad to their 53-man rosters who aren't protected because that's just the talent that they have. 
And I think it goes even further. You mentioned Sean Wade. The Ravens made three trades of guys who weren't going to make the roster. And Wade, Greg Manson, offensive lineman who went to Miami, and guard Ben Bredesen, who went to the New York Giants. Eric DaCosta was moving up in draft selection. It wasn't like he was just getting player for pick deals, but he was moving up. For example, Bredesen, they traded a guard who wasn't going to make their roster in the Chiefs fifth round pick for a Giants fourth round selection. So when you factor in, all right, the Chiefs are probably going to finish in like the top two, three, four teams in the league and the Giants might be in the early to mid round picks. That's like a 40 spot upgrade. So it's, it's stuff like that where Eric DaCosta, it's little victories that amount to huge, huge benefits for them in the future. We're, we're, we're still talking about the talent evaluation. I, I have to ask you about this before I get into the defense and then we go into the AFC North. I mean, uh, yeah, the AFC North. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen, Tyler Huntley, um, <laughs> what is what do you guys have with the, the, this young player from the Utes? Because, I mean, he's he's doing his damn thing out there. And, I mean, of course, you know, you, you, you want a redundancy as far as someone that plays like your starter. You don't want to have to start a whole new offense in case right. that Lamar gets hurt. But watching him run and pass was <laughs> like, man, you guys may have something. You may have something that you can use down the line. And I don't necessarily I mean, of course, if Lamar gets hurt, but also just uh, as, uh, as a quiver, it's it, just to trade. You know what I'm saying? Like, so what 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 was the expectations bringing him in? And what 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 do people think about him after seeing in a small sample size of the preseason what he can do? Yeah, people love, love Tyler Huntley in Baltimore. Now, Baltimore is referred to as the Florida Ravens sometimes because they have so many guys who are from Florida. <laughs> Lamar Jackson, Marquise Brown, Sammy Watkins, and Huntley's in that group too. Jackson and Huntley played against each other in high school and in youth football. So they were guys who knew each other for a very long time, and now they're, you know, they're, they're friends. And so the fact that Huntley went undrafted, first of all, I think was – Unreal. I, I didn't think he was going to go undrafted. The Ravens pick him up. Maybe Jackson had some influence with that. I don't know. But if he did, that's great. Right. And was on the practice squad because I think that was really the only year the Ravens could do that because there was no preseason. There was no tape. Mm. Or Huntley at the pro level. Whereas for McSorley, for Trace McSorley, who did not make this final roster but is on their practice squad, there was from the previous year's preseason. So I thought that one – Huntley was the absolute guy for this job coming into training camp. You know, McSorley is a good player, but I think Huntley just has the skills to run a Lamar Jackson-led offense better. And that's where we are now for the Ravens. Lamar Jackson has graduated from having a mentor backup where you you kind of have a veteran in the room to help him grow and help him learn. He's not – Jackson is now a little bit of a veteran himself. So now go out and find the guy who can run that offense – the best out of everybody. And I think that that is Tyler Huntley. Now getting McSorley on the practice squad, I I called it a steal. Maybe that's not the right word, but he's somebody who knows the offense. He's been there for a while. He's shown some success. He's not the best quarterback in NFL history, but he's someone who can definitely go out there and at least keep the Ravens competitive if Jackson and Huntley were to miss time. So I think overall what Huntley showed this preseason, he showed his capability, he showed throw power, he showed accuracy. He's he's a dual threat quarterback, much like his teammate and friend Lamar Jackson, which really helps them if Jackson has to miss a game here or there or gets injured. Hopefully he does not. We, you know, No injuries are wanted over here for any player. But if Jackson were to go down, I feel much more comfortable with the backup quarterback situation this year than I did last year because Robert Griffin III, you know, great football player, didn't really show a lot when he was on the field for them, unfortunately. So I think Huntley, now you have a player who can run that offense and run it well if Jackson were to go down and miss some time. Yeah, Robert Griffin III retired early. He just let everybody know this season, basically. Um, listen, uh, going back to 
the early Ravens teams when you and I'm, I'm in Chicago. So some teams, when you mention their name, the thing that jumps out to you is defense. You know, and the Ravens yep. are one of those teams. They they had one of the greatest defense ever in football uh, that their first Super Bowl. Um, I'm a fan of Matthew Judon. Um, what's your expectations for this defense with losing such a a, 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 a great, a really good edge rusher? And Matthew Judon, are we going to see the old style Ravens defense or is this a more of a bend don't break and you're leaning more on the offense than perhaps you have in the past? I think the unit is always going to be somewhat of a bend don't break unit. We've seen that over the past couple of seasons. And that doesn't mean that the Ravens defense can't force turnovers and can't force three and outs, but they will play off coverage a significant amount when they necessarily might not have to third and four on the midfield line. They're playing off coverage because they do not want to get beat deep. That is the last thing this defense wants, but they trust their defense enough that is now filled with stars and, and still is filled with stars. It wasn't like it wasn't, but those guys always go out there and make plays. Now, Judon is definitely a big loss. I didn't expect him or Ngakwe to return Yannick Ngakwe to return just because the money wasn't there. The Ravens did not have a lot of money to work with. Those guys both got big money deals. So the writing was kind of on the wall there, but Judon is a, a do-it-all player. He can drop back into cover, set the edge very well, is also a good pass rusher. The, the, the issue with Judon is inconsistency. There will be a game where he has like three or four sacks in a game and then disappear, disappear for like six weeks and then come back and do it again, then disappear for six weeks. So there's that. Also, a couple not so great penalties, just roughing the passers and stuff that he's sometimes subject to. But he's a great overall player. He loved Baltimore. You know, the Ravens loved him. It was just unfortunate that, you know, the Ra- the Ravens couldn't make the money work and he deserved every penny of that deal. But now the edge rusher position was a huge concern. And that was because with Judon, with Ward, Jihad Ward and with Ngakwe gone, they lost a lot of their sack production. And that wasn't great because they didn't have a lot of proven options on their roster. They, they didn't go out there and acquire anybody in the early part of free agency. They drafted a very raw pass rusher in Adafi Owe in round one. Tyus Bowser, not a ton of production. He's kind of come on in recent years, but he's someone who wasn't that proven. Bruno McPhee is not going to be an every down player. So Justin Houston is the key here. Justin Houston mm-hmm is the key signing that I think is a needle mover. You know, I wasn't really fond of the idea of bringing in a guy like Olivier Vernon or someone who you're wasting a roster spot on and he's going to give you the same production as somebody else on your roster. But Houston is someone who has 97 and a half career sacks in 10 seasons. He has been proven for many years. People thought his career was over after he left Kansas City, ends up getting 19 sacks in two years with the Colts, or around 19 within two years with the Colts. So he still has it. He still has stuff left in the tank. And I think that he's going to be so huge for this, this defense. They're a big blitzing team too. Don Martindale loves to blitz. They have the highest blitz percentage over the last two seasons. In the NFL, so that's also huge. I, I think that the defense will always be somewhat of a bend-don't-break unit, but when they get into that red zone, the opposing offenses, the defense tightens up, and in my opinion, if a drive can end in a kick, so if that's a field goal or a punt, I think that's a successful drive with the way the Ravens' offense operates because you know that offense is going out there and they're scoring points every week. Right, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> listen, uh, two more questions. The AFC North is pretty much the roughest division in football. Um, how, give me the fallout. How in, in Kevin's, in your perspective, how's the AFC North going to follow your preview? I guess for the AFC North. Yeah, so this is definitely one of the toughest divisions in the league, and I think it will be for a long time. You know, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Joe Burrow, whatever the Steelers are going to do at quarterback, maybe maybe they'll figure it out. But 
I think this year it's a two-team race between the Browns and the Ravens. I have both teams finishing at 13-4 and four with the Ravens winning on a conference tiebreaker. I think they're both going to be that good. And for me, the Browns and the Ravens both addressed their needs in the offseason. The Browns struggled in the secondary in 2020. They went out there. They got John Johnson. They got Troy Hill. They drafted Greg Newsome. So they did a lot of things on that. They're also getting Odo Beckham back, who I think is going to be rejuvenated So I think that those two teams will be the two big dogs in the AFC North. I also don't think either team wins both games against each other. I think it'll be a 1-1 split. Baltimore will probably win that home opener or home game for them. And then Cleveland will win two weeks later in Week 14 in their home game. The the schedule kind of worked out a little bit weird for Baltimore. So the Browns and the Ravens, the Ravens have Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cleveland. And so that's kind of like a divisional stretch there for them. It goes into their tough back end schedule. The Browns, on the other hand, have Baltimore by Baltimore. So the Browns have a buy in between their two games with the Ravens, while the Ravens have to play the Steelers at Heinz Field. So, look, the Browns are a talented team. I don't think they need like some schedule boon to help them out or anything. But that does not help the Ravens in, in any way, shape, or form. And, and the Ravens have said, look, some things work out in your favor with the schedule. Some things don't. So that's one thing that definitely doesn't work out for them. Pittsburgh, in my opinion, people, I hear people saying they're going to be a four-win team, a three-win team. I don't think that's it whatsoever. I think they're still talented. But mm-hmm. it, it is fair to question what Ben Roethlisberger is going to be able to do this year after the kind of collapse the Steelers did have in 2020 after a blistering start. The offensive line is a question mark right now. They lost a couple key defensive starters, added a few as well. I see them around 9-8, and 10-7. and seven. I think that's where I am with them. Still a good football team, but maybe in the, in the competition for a low wild card spot in the AFC. And then finally, Cincinnati. I mean, Cincinnati is interesting because – I'm honestly more concerned with their defense than I am their offensive line. The okay. offensive line is not great, definitely. They they upgraded. Look, Riley Reef is an upgrade from Bobby Hart 10 times out of 10 on that line. But Joe Burrow coming back from that injury, Jamar Chase has had some drop issues. I don't know if I'd feed too much into that early on. If it continues, then it starts to be like, oh, yeah, this is becoming an issue. But overall, I think that the Bengals are probably a, a five, six, maybe seven win team this year. But then, I mean, the next five, seven years, if, if all three quarterbacks can stay healthy, I think that the Ravens, the Browns, the Bengals all have the potential to make the playoffs with each other. Three AFC North teams in the playoffs for the next multitude of years, much like we saw with Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cleveland the last year. So I have Baltimore and Cleveland finishing 13 and four each with Baltimore on top. I'll call Pittsburgh 10 and seven right now, and then I'll call Cincinnati five and 13. The 17 game schedules, I'm still getting used to it. So (laughs) those (laughs) records are a bit difficult, but that's where I am with the AFC North. I understand. Kevin, last one. Let's bring it here local for me. Uh, looking from the outside, looking in on the Bears, what are your expectations for them this season and what they have done, and how would you bring along Justin Fields? Yeah, well, look, I th- well, first of all, I want to say the Justin Fields pick was phenomenal. My, my dad is a Vikings fan, and he was he was not happy when the Bears jumped up and, and, and made that selection because he knew what Justin Fields was going to be. My family's huge Ohio State fan, so I know what Justin Fields is going to be. Now, how, how would I bring him along? I mean, look, Justin Fields has shown it in the preseason he has shown that he is the future for the chicago bears but i know a lot of people have been giving matt Nagy some feedback and not very good feedback about his decision to go out there and start andy dalton week one which doesn't seem like it's changing which i mean look it's fine to start but i'm giving it a very short leash i mean if andy if, if we're talking week two and andy dalton is putting up even like mediocre numbers 
I think you hand the, hand the keys over to Justin Fields. And that it's, it's both a good and a bad situation because you don't want to throw Justin Fields into a fire where he is very inexperienced. He starts to struggle a bit, starts to get down on himself, and then something like that happens. But at the same time, one, Fields is a more talented player, so you're probably going to get better results. But two, having him learn in those game situations against good defenses isn't just going to help him in his rookie year. It's going to help him for 10, 15 years, which I think a lot of people are expecting him to stay in this league as a starter for that long. So I think overall, the Bears did do some good stuff in the offseason. And obviously, Allen Robinson returning is a very good piece of news for them. But in terms of fields, I think by the time the Ravens play the Bears, Justin Fields will definitely be the starter. And I'm excited to see what he can do against the Ravens defense. It's very talented because it's going to be a good matchup. We appreciate it, Kevin. Really good, everybody. Make sure you check that check out Locked On Ravens. I, I see on your timeline now that you're you're going with video too to go along with yes, the audio. Yep. <laughs> so everybody, make sure you check that out. Also check out Ravens Wire, Kevin. Definitely appreciate it. And you have a good evening, man. Awesome. Thanks so much. This was awesome. Thank you. That Davis show, and we're lucky enough to be joined by Carmen Vitale, Buccaneers staff writer. You can find her works at TampaBayBuccaneers.com. Follow her at Carmi V. Carmi, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, I feel like you're doing better than fantastic, to be honest with you. Like, <laughs> why? This... Because I'm, I've got this team around me that I get to talk about so much. Yeah, like, to be honest, like, all right. Last year compared to years past, right? Because you've been on you've been on this gig for a nice little amount of time. You're not a newbie. So I can actually ask you this. Last year compared to years past had to feel like just ecstasy, right? I mean, <laughs> you're working. Of course you're working, but having to develop articles about 30 for 30 or whatever's taking place compared to the beginning of last year. Basically, you had to have a feeling you had a chance to get to the Super Bowl. Maybe it was a little neandering here, here in Chicago. We, you took an L from us uh, up here in Chicago. All right. Your quarterback forgot. I'm very well down. versed in that. I'm, I'm yeah. from the area. So, yeah. Oh, really? I, yeah. I grew I up outside that. of Chicago. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, so whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, who's your who's your football? Who's your football boo then? Your team? Well, so, I mean, I grew up a Bears fan. Uh, okay, I feel like Bucks okay. fans know that about me by now. Um, and I, obviously, I'm much more invested in this team right now, given that they're my employer. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up I grew up in, you know, the, the early 90s and, and early 2000s and didn't when the Bears didn't and still kind of don't have an offense to speak of. So I, be, I gravitated towards defense. That's something I've carried with me my entire life just because of <laughs> my circumstances. <laughs> That's so Chicago. I'm sorry for you. It is. Uh, Boy, listen, that quarterback, that quarterback may be nice, but did you see that defense over there? Oh, man. Exactly. Exactly. Which you don't hear too many people, but I'm a product of my environment. So, and we've got a very good defense here to speak of. Yes, you do. You do. But so how, how was that transition from years past into this year? But also I feel like it's carrying over to this season because it seems like the party shouldn't stop. You know, you, you, know. you, you got. Yeah, it seems like you should still be celebrating really until something. If the, 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 if the team goes off track, but even if it goes off track, it should be easy to get it back on track. But again, to get to that question, how was it the, the difference between the Jameis years and what took place last season? Yeah, it, it has been completely different. But I think what was so satisfying was just how validating and almost vindicating it was, because the yes, the storylines were the 30 for 30 and all that kind of stuff. But it, 
the amount of guys that went under the radar because of it was mm. criminal to me just because I knew these guys. I knew what they were capable of. I knew the talent that was on this team. And you say that and you hear that from all these teams that do have losing records or whatever. But I, that's that's the reality is not everybody on the roster is bad, just like not everybody on the roster is like fantastic. So. I was just really excited to see a bunch of our guys kind of get the recognition they deserve. One being Levante David, of course Um, he's, I'm the biggest proponent of Levante and I kind of lead the charge every year for his accolades and his recognition of pro bowls, all pros. The man has not had enough of them because he's been on losing teams. And now Mm -hmm. it's nice to see guys like that getting the recognition. So last year was uh, the storylines come to you. Let me tell you, like it it was, it made me a better journalist working for a team that went back to back five and 11 years even you know bruce's first year we were seven and nine um and it makes you a better journalist because you have to figure out what to write and how to kind of toe that line a little bit more but yeah this year was i was like i couldn't keep up with how many things that we had to write about (laughs) (laughs) yes it's it's definitely nice i i I, i'm envious Um, i hope i hope one day back here at home that we're in that situation where, you know, of course the teams, because a lot of people don't, a lot of people think people in the media want the team to suck, but when the team's doing well, it's better for everyone. It's, it's so the much story easier. writes itself. Yeah. The story, it's the so story much. writes, which you talked about the players and I, and I agree with you because when, 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 when Tom Brady chose the bucks to me, it made common sense because it was basically like ready made, just throw the quarterback in the middle of it. There, there was talents. I think if you know football, there was talents galore around on that team. You just needed someone to steady the ship. Is there some people have the train of thought, Carmen, that if you don't make any adjustments and you stand and still not necessarily just a step back, but you're still not taking the next step. Is there any fear of that with bringing back 22 starters, both on the offensive defensive side? Honestly, to be quite honest, I had almost the same thought process because the NFL stresses, you know, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse, right? It's like that Ricky Bobby, if you're first, if you're not first or last. It's and and I think that there is some credence to that, but I also don't think that that happens on a team that has Tom Brady at quarterback. He is the last guy to repeat as champions, and I just think that he brings an accountability and a motivation to this team. That I mean, I think the danger of that is that you rest on your laurels, right? And you think, oh well, I was this good last year, so we're I don't have to change anything. That's not the attitude on this team at all, and that's very apparent, and especially because. These guys weren't playing their best football the entire season. It took them until the team's bye week in week 13 to really click on offense. And I just remember there's this quote where Tom Brady is walking off the field with Devin White from the NFC Championship game after winning in Green Bay. And they're just going, we haven't even played our best football yet. And that's kind of true in a lot of ways because they had just started to gel. And so if they can pick up where they left off, they still like have not reached their ceiling. So I think that, you know, when you make it to the top mountaintop, you think, all right, that's as good as it gets. But these this team knows that they've got more in them. And that's why I don't really feel like it's a danger for this team in particular. Although I do subscribe to that where you always want to try to get better. That Davis show right now, we have Carmen Vitale, a staff writer for the Bucks, joining us. Let me ask you this and sticking with the office it's important since you brought up that bye week and what took place with having an actual preseason and a training camp ran not regularly due to due to COVID, but at least it's it's closer to what it was pre pandemic. 
How do you think this offense is going to look now with that much time, with that time to adjust now? Is it going to be more of a New England or more risk it, no biscuit? What do you think the offense is going to look like? Well, I think it's a marriage of the two. And to marry two totally polar opposite systems is no easy task. And that's why it took so long last year. And I think you're going to see more of that this year. I mean, I don't, there's no way that Bruce gives up his no risk it, no biscuit type mentality, but there are ways to marry the two together. And I I think that that's what you're going to end up seeing. And at the end of the day, Bruce is very amenable to what his quarterbacks want to do. He knows that quarterbacks aren't going to want to run plays that they don't like. So quarterbacks are very involved in game planning on this offense. And Tom Brady is obviously no exception. He might be the most involved in game planning just because of his experience and because of the system he came from and, and meshing that with the ideals and concepts that Bruce Arians likes to run as well. But let me tell you, I mean, We've seen Brady throw deep all last year, way more than I feel like we had in recent years. He's not slowing down. We've we've seen him in camp do the exact same thing at 44 years old, which is incredible. Uh, so he still has the talent to do it and the talent to execute a Bruce Arians offense. So he's 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 going to do it. He's still going to do it. You're still going to see those fun deep shots and all that. Oh, I'm jealous. All right, no. you're. Pre- I, I am. I, I mean, it's it, it's it's hurtful. I mean, at least you know during the preview for this show, going from division to division, no one kind of knows my angst. So to find out that you feel this, well, you felt this pain. I should say, you know, I don't have. Feel I it. have. You, you you felt yeah. it. It's, it's, it's. I could. I at least know that. How would you, yeah. in your opinion, how would you describe the relationship between Bruce Arians and Tom Brady? They're so much fun together. Honestly, they they feed off each other so well. Um, Bruce is just like he again, he really lets his quarterbacks do what they're there to do. And he wants to make sure that he's getting the best out of them, but that they're having input on everything. So it's a give and take. You'll hear Bruce say that all the time. Um, But I really think I mean, you can see how much Tom Brady has kind of loosened up a little bit. I feel like that's always been a big storyline. Although I'm not sure that this wasn't always here with him. I just don't know that he was given the platform to express it from his head coach. And we all know Bruce, uh, he pulls no punches and he tells it like it is. And that's kind of how everyone follows suit on this team. And so you see that between Bruce and you see that between with Brady. And I mean, it's with that entire quarterback room and the quarterback coaches. I mean, this team is just so set up. I like we had we drafted Kyle Trask in the second round. And I just don't know a better situation for a young quarterback to come in, not only because of Tom Brady, but you've got Bruce Arians, the quarterback whisperer. You have Byron Leftwich, who's a longtime quarterback in this league. Clyde Christensen, who's coached guys like Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck. You know, the amount of offensive firepower is just crazy in that room in general. So it's really cool to see them all feed off of each other and kind of come up with things together. It must really be nice. It sounds like it's really nice how you just broke that down. Listen, I didn't know what quarter, quarterbacking was until I got here. I promise. <laughs> it sounds sounds fantastic, Carmen. Like you know, this By, Byron left, which like I mean, just oh, sounds fantastic. Look, on a side note, this just popped out into my head with Bruce. Recently, when I've seen Bruce Arians, I haven't seen the Kango. Where's the Kango at? Especially being a man of color, you know, we have an affinity for Kangos. Where where is his Kangos? Yeah, he he switches it in and out now with uh, he's got his baseball caps, too. He's a he's a man of many styles. He's the swaggiest coach in the NFL. And I maintain that. Um, So he's he trust me, he gets his fits off. 
And uh, okay. he has, everyone has their look at practice though. I feel like every coach has their look at practice and, and Bruce is actually at practice is actually usually a ball cap more than it is the Kangol. But he, trust me when I say he brings out the Kangol for all the special occasions, like our ring ceremony, okay. everything like that. He's, he's wearing that with a three piece suit and he looks just swaggy, swagged out. This man is, <laughs> he knows what he's doing. Okay. Okay. So listen, do these two Tom Brady and Bruce Arians ride off together? How, how long do you expect for this to, to, to continue? And also, when Bruce Arians retires, is this Todd Bowles' job? Yeah, I opinion. think that that's, yeah, that's a good, it's a good question. And it's, it's definitely, um, you know, it makes sense. Like if you were to kind of hand this team back over, I mean, we are also so lucky on this coaching staff to have two head coaches. I mean, Todd Bowles was a head coach for five years. So four seasons. So like having that built in um, is a really interesting prospect. And again, that would be something very unique in this league to see that change of the guard happen. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, <laughs> It's it's really interesting because Brady was like, oh, I want to play till I'm 25 or 45. I'm like, he looks 25. Um, I want to play till I'm 45. That's next year. And he doesn't mm. show any signs of slowing down this year. And I'm like, if the Bucks win the Super Bowl again, do you ride out on top like that? I don't, I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. But like, I'm telling you what, like you look at this guy and you're like, you're not you're not 44. Like you're just not, and and Bruce, Bruce is the same way where he's just. I mean, he gets fired up. We've seen him in these preseason games already, just biting refs' heads off. He's in midseason form already. So like this guy is, and he's really, really well set up when it comes to speaking of those coordinators, Todd Bowles, Byron Leftwich. I mean, Byron Leftwich is the play caller on the offense. Bruce doesn't have that pressure on him. He doesn't have that stress on him, I should say. So he's got it pretty good right now, where he kind of commands the ship, but he doesn't have to take the day to day beating, and that's the reason he doesn't call plays is because the stress was getting too much. So, I mean, between the two of them, I don't know. I feel like as long as Tom Brady plays, Bruce will coach and uh, maybe vice versa. I'm not totally sure, but you do have someone, a very more than viable option waiting in the wings to take over. Should that be the case? I look forward to when Byron Leftwich gets a really a real chance to interview and get a head coaching job being someone that's mm-hmm. loved, loved him since Marshall. Uh, back in the days. I, I look forward to that. Uh, getting to the draft, what are your expectations? You guys are loaded, and I'll get to the loaded aspect, but you add it to the loadedness. You you have uh, Joe Tryon Soyinka. Uh, the kid's been mm-hmm. playing well in preseasons. What's your expectations yeah. of having him rotate in with the, the linemen that you already have killing quarterbacks around the league? Yeah, it's kind of like I, I get a little embarrassed because it is, it's a, the rich get richer situation. Uh, I honestly... <laughs> it's it's incredible to think that Joe Tryon fell to us uh, at, at 32. And I think that there's going to be 31 teams that are going to be kicking themselves after this season with just his potential and seeing what we've seen. I mean, seeing him in person, I, I, you know, I watched a lot of his tape and all that kind of stuff, but that was two years ago. And I think it's going to be a case study with, because he, he opted out for the COVID year last year, whatever he was doing in that time, he got better. And like he got, he became more of a technician. He molded his body and whatever he did, I think it'll be a case study for college players. Like if you have that motivation, that self-motivation and that self-accountability, I mean, it's kind of worth it to not put the wear and tear on your body of a college football season. And now he comes in, he's super fresh. He's just chopping at the bit to get onto this field. And, you know, even the preseason game, he just talked about how excited he was to get back on a football field, but my gosh, can he dominate? It's incredible to see. I mean, I saw him, 
physically just run over Tennessee linemen uh, in, in the last preseason game, like immediately following a sack. And I mean, this is a guy too that I've seen in practice has put Rob Gronkowski on his butt. And if you can, if you can put Rob Gronkowski on his butt, like with one hand, most of the time, that's insane. Gronk is a huge human and he's very good at blocking. He's a very good mm-hmm. blocking tight end. I let him tell it. He's an only, he's only a blocking tight end, but I just, <laughs> I have my expectations for this kid. I, I'm trying to like temper them. Um, but he also then has Shaq Barrett and JPP to learn from. And he's got outside linebackers coach Larry Foote to learn from. And I just, I don't see a scenario where this kid doesn't end up to be an amazing player for this defense. Yeah. And I read JPP just raving about him having techniques that he didn't have as a rookie. So 30, 30 teams though, Carmen, 30 teams, not 31. All right. We, we're happy with what we did in the first round this year. All That's right. fair. I'm, I was so proud of the bears. I really was. I promised you that. I was texting don't my friends your- back in Chicago like, I'm so proud. We don't want your pity, Carmen. We don't want your pity. It's not a pity. I'm just excited for you. I promise. <laughs> Look, well, I'll, I'll be excited for you, except when you know the Bucks come in, or when you guys come exactly. down here and play. Okay. So. okay, okay, okay. But in your heart, we know. I know what you have to do with the job, but we know, we know. All right, the team is loaded. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for y'all. If there's any weaknesses for this team. Who are the players or what would you point out as far as schematically the weaknesses? Honestly, I'm going to go be towards a phase of the game that even Bruce talked about coming into this season, which is special teams. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that there's still a lot to figure out there and there's still a a battle for the kick kick returner jobs. Uh, You don't have that solidified. And just in general, you're not getting the production out of them that you really want at this point. Uh, That was a big emphasis in this draft just because you didn't have a lot of needs, obviously. So Mm -hmm. the last four picks of the draft for the Bucks were really just meant for guys that they felt like could make it make an appearance on special teams and kind of make their bread and butter on special teams. So I'm going to see how that goes. Um, even the kick, like as far as the kicking game too, Ryan Suckup has kind of had an up and down camp. Bruce has not been shy about saying that. Uh, mm-hmm. But he did kick a 49-yard field goal against the Titans, which were unfortunately the Bucks' only points last game. Um, but so you would like to see, you know, the consistency out of him because he was so automatic last year for the Bucks. And I don't know if you know anything about Tampa Bay and their kicking curse. Um, but it's been a thing here. And ever since I've been here, we've just cycled through some really awful situations. And Ryan Suckup was kind of finally this guy that came in and was so super consistent. So to see him have an up and down camp, you're like, oh, God. Not this guy. <laughs> yeah, we you know. A so bit looking towards that. that, but I also Bruce also said he has all the faith in the world that Ryan will figure it out, and I do too because he is a vet and he knows what he's doing. So I'm hoping that you know that. And then of course injuries. And that's that's yeah. really what I feel like can bring down this team. It can bring down any team at any time. But I, I don't think this team is the deepest that it could be, especially on defense. So you you lose a couple key players, um, and you're gonna have to make some adjustments, some pretty you know significant adjustments. And of course, the quarterback. I mean, he, Tom Brady is 44 years old, but he played through a t- torn MCL last year. So right. <laughs> I think- He's as tough as they come. So if he's not missing a limb, I think he'll be out there. (laughs) That Davis show right now, we have Carmen Vitale. Follow her at Carmi V. Listen, what are your expectations for Antonio Brown now? Because he came in 
when the season had basically already not when the season had started, but he came in late, I should say. All right, we yeah. know him and Brady kind of had a connection in New England, but that was cut short with all the, the off-field stuff that was going on with Antonio Brown. Your expectations for him and Brady this season, and will they be really try to prove something, or is there enough balls to go around for them to prove something? And even more importantly, Brady and Mike Evans. So this is a twofer because I love I've loved Mike Evans for a long time. Um, but yeah. it's and and they they definitely they definitely had some plays, but it still seemed like they didn't have that connection that you think they could have because if Brady and Mike Evans really have a connection, there's going to be some trouble, trouble, trouble. Yeah, I mean, I, Brady's really never had a receiver quite like Mike. I mean, you go back to the, his years with Randy Moss, but um, they're not quite the same player, obviously, though Mike does look up to Randy. He calls Randy Moss his idol, and he broke his NFL record of seven straight 1,000-yard seasons to begin a career last year. But I think that that was really a symptom of just getting used to this offense and getting used to – I mean, these there's a lot of option routes here, and there's a lot of stuff that you have to read as a quarterback, and the timing with your receivers just doesn't come without reps, and they just needed that and they've gotten it now so I expect a bigger year from Mike but I mean Mike still had over a thousand yards he had the most touchdowns he's ever had in a single season last year he had 13 touchdowns uh, his wow. previous high been 12 so I think as you're also seeing him utilize he's such a good red zone target because he's so big and so that lends itself to a lot of production as far as scoring goes for him so I think you can expect that I don't think you're going to see any of these receivers top 1200 yards 1100 yards just because there are only so many balls to go around and you've got Chris Godwin you've got Scotty Miller you've got Tyler Johnson who stepped up this camp he's a second year receiver uh, last year's draft picks so uh, and then you look at Antonio Brown and you're now going to have a full season with him because he didn't he didn't come in until the eighth game of the season last year so now I mean he does look He's so fast and he's so elusive in a lot and he can get that separation. And we've heard uh, Bruce Arian saying that this looks like the Antonio Brown from four or five years ago. I think that put a lot of people on notice when he said that because the Antonio Brown from four or five years ago was pretty insane. And to imagine him fitting into an offense and playing his role and not trying to be, you know, that he's not necessarily that superstar, but he's accepted that role and and to have you know to share all of this with mike evans with chris godwin they that whole receiver room has a great rapport with each other they're very unselfish players for how good they are um so it'll just be very interesting to see how everything kind of lays itself out but i would expect a lot of production this year especially because brady is that much more comfortable in this offense Carmen, you know what? Something just popped in my mind. What do you expect to happen after this season with Chris Godwin playing on the franchise tag? Will there be enough money? And I guess perhaps because how you, necessarily how you set up his contract, but do you see his long-term future in Tampa or has there been too many guys re-signed from last year that is going to probably maybe block him from getting the type of money he's looking for? I don't know that that necessarily precludes him just because of the kind of player that Chris is. He can play all those different receiver spots and he's so versatile in that. And, you know, he's a homegrown player and our GM, Jason Light, has placed a huge emphasis on keeping those homegrown players, those guys that you drafted. You know, he gets extremely attached to these guys, which is a good thing. And you like to think that, you know, they kind of return the favor. And I know that Chris loves it here. He loves playing with Mike. He loves, you know, the system that they're in. Um, 
Um, but again, it's going to be very next year is going to be very interesting just from a purely contract uh, perspective, because you've got a lot of guys, you kind of leveraged everything this year against the future a little bit more. But let me tell you, if anybody can figure it out, it is our cap guru, Mike Greenberg, and our director of football research, Jackie Davidson, both of those, they are such a stellar tag team. And they're the reason that the Bucks were able to bring all 22 starters back uh, because of some really creative accounting uh, as far as, as that went. So if anybody can do it, it's them. But I mean, I, I like to think that Chris really likes it here and he said he really likes it here. Uh, and I don't think that any other contracts necessarily impose on his. I think that it, it'll just be a matter of what what all ends up shaking out. And I'm very interested to see how that goes, because I do think that there will be some pretty hard to swallow changes just because there will have to be. Mm, understandable. Look, the NFC South belongs to the Bucks. How do you think the rest of the division will shake out? So Carmi V's preview of the NFC South. Yeah, listen, that statement, though, is something that is so foreign to me, because even last year, the Bucks entered yeah. the playoffs as a wild card. That was Tom Brady's first time in the NFL playoffs as a wild card team. Uh, which is crazy to think about all on its own. But I, I have not wrapped my head around the fact that like we're predicted to win the division because since I've been here, that's not been the case. <laughs> so now I'm like, oh, and then you look at all of the like the turnover at all at a lot of the other teams and you're like, oh, gosh, not only do do we have this continuity and we have this chance for success, but where we got better, I feel like a lot of the other teams in the division yes. are going into this either re build or they just are going into these changeover things. I mean, we saw the salary cap hell that New Orleans was in and they had to cut ties with some people and now you've also got a huge question mark at quarterback, one that the Bucks are unfortunately familiar with yes. um, and we're going to see how that works out. I've, I'm always rooting for him though. I mean, he was he was a great guy when, he's late, when he was here and he is so super talented. Uh, it's just that kind of those heroics that, that playing Superman kind of gets him in trouble sometimes because he just there, he never wants the play to be over. And I understand that. Um, but sometimes, obviously, that's led to some very iffy things. But I do think that, that I'm going to be really interested to see how that offense is retailored for him because you cannot run the same offense you had for Drew Brees with Jameis Winston. Uh, it's just not possible. For, but Sean Payton is a brilliant play caller. Uh, I will never, you know, you can't take that away from as much as this is a division rival. You know, Sean Payton is an excellent coach. He's a great play caller. He's a great offensive mind. And he can figure it out if anyone can. So I still think that the Saints kind of end up in that two spot. Uh, I think the Panthers could surprise some people just because I think their defense might be a little bit better. That secondary, which was so young last year, is getting, I feel like it's going to be better this year. I really was a huge fan of Jeremy Chain coming out. And now, like, they put him at linebacker last year. I just don't think that he was just too undersized for that position. They're moving him back to safety this year. And so I feel like that could shake out pretty well for that defense. Uh, as far as Atlanta goes, I, there again, there's just so much turnover there. Um, and, and that defense needs to get a lot better. But right. you still have Matt Ryan, and, and Matt Ryan's still going to, he's got Calvin Ridley, he's got, he's got weapons. So you're going to, I think, still see a pretty high-powered offense from Atlanta. But between the Panthers and Atlanta, I'm not necessarily sure who goes third and fourth. But I still <laughs> anticipate New Orleans being in that second spot because maybe it's just like PTSD for me because New Orleans just always like kicked our butts. So I don't know. I understand. <laughs> I understand. Believe me, I understand. Uh, listen, let's bring you home before you go back to the to nice weather down there in Tampa. Your thoughts on the Chicago Bears upcoming season and how would you bring along Justin Fields? 
Oh, well, this is not going to be a very popular opinion, I don't think. But I, I just you see across the league when guys get time to develop behind someone else and really get used to the game and get used to the systems they're in and, and get to see it in different ways. Like, I just I mean, I think about Patrick Mahomes and I'm like, would he have been as instantly good if he was for instance, drafted by Chicago and expected to start right away. Would we be seeing him this good this quickly? Because I think obviously he always had that talent, but I don't know. I think if like that red shirt year essentially behind Alex Smith, I just think pays dividends. So I, again, this is going to be really controversial. I don't want Justin Fields to start. I don't like, I don't want him to start the season. I want him to hang back team around him to help him win right away anyway. So it's like you let him get used to things. And I know that like Chicago fans don't have the patience for that. I don't usually have the patience for that. Maybe it's easier because I'm down here and I get to watch this football instead of having to be in Chicago and wait it out. I do understand the sense of urgency as far as, you know, the defense goes. You're not going to be able to keep that defense intact much longer. I know that Nagy and Ryan Pace's jobs likely kind of ride on the success of Justin Fields or he could potentially save their jobs. So I understand wanting to kind of prove everyone or to prove yourselves right on him. Uh, instantaneously, but I think you might be doing him a disservice by putting him in situations before he's ready. Um, but from all from all of the things I've seen, you know, the talent is there. I just hope mm-hmm. that they manage it correctly. But again, historically, I'm probably jaded because I've never seen them manage <laughs> offensive exactly. talent. <laughs> but exactly. Offensive talent well. Um, I'm with you, though. I'm, I'm not a uh, start him at the beginning of the season guy. I was a start him around the bye week guy. I'm down to maybe week three. All right. But I okay. want him to get. See, you're getting, yeah, everyone's getting anxious. Like getting. It, well, it, it's it's more of I want him and Andy Reid, I mean, him, him and Andy Dalton to be in the same room. I think one, they should have packages for Justin Fields. All right. Mm-hmm. So that he can still get out there and see the live bullets in the real. And he played preseason, but it's different when you're going up against first stringers and the games count. Right. So I I think you should have packages where each half, at least he gets out. He has a series where he can come out there and he runs the team or whatever. You see how well he plays. If he if he plays, you let him continue that series. But still, you Andy Dalton's a starter. Um, And then you see how that goes. And if if week after week he's getting better, then you make the switch, depending on how well or not so well Andy Dalton is playing. But I'm not a um, forget it. Just start Justin guy because I was never like that. But that hit was even more like, you know right. what? You that know, was like, no. Oh, I, I saw that because we had our game going on uh, that day. And so I was busy preparing for our game. But then I saw the highlight of that. And I texted my friend who was calling the game. And I was like, was that as bad as it looked like live? And he was like, it looked worse live. And I was like, oh, that would be like this, that would be the Bears luck is, is to lose yes. like, their, you know, their future of their franchise in a preseason game to a hit to the a blow to the head. That was not okay, but I mean that's that's kind of the risky risk you run in preseason just because these guys aren't you know necessarily the top tier like most technical players that are going against him. So stuff like that happens even when it's not malicious. But yeah, gosh, it, yeah, that like my heart dropped. I was like, no, 
Right. It was. I mean, to see the helmet and the headband, and also this is thing too. I had noticed. Yeah, the headband was like this. That was really bad. But also, I had noticed during the game, and I I screamed at the television because I'm like, wait, strap up, because he only had the front strap on, and I was like, strap like, and quarterbacks sometimes do that, but from playing football, yeah. I was like, no, no, strap up, youngster. Like, so when he to see that happen, it was like, <gasps> but it's football. But st- it's I'm, football. I'm with you. Don't. Whoa, whoa, let me ask you this, though. So if you had to choose what part of the season you would start him, when would you start him? Or you're just like total Patrick Mahomes, just red shirt year. Like, I just don't know what is to be accomplished other than, again, maybe saving some people's jobs, which I get. But at this point, like, are you really thinking a deep playoff run for the Bears? Even like if you if you bring Justin Fields in halfway through the season or even say week three, you bring him in. Do you do you think that this team is going like all the way into the playoffs and making that deep run? And if you do, all right, start in week three. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, then I just I feel like you want to set yourself up for the future a lot more. But there is no like this delayed gratification really just doesn't exist in the NFL, especially anymore. Um, I feel like, you know, the expectation of rookies is just far and away it gets worse and worse every year just like the the fuse gets shorter or whatever you want to call it um for these rookies where they're just expected to step in right away and to be fair colleges are running pro style offenses a lot more uh so you you would think that these guys are a little bit better equipped also but i don't know i mean if you could do it i would do the whole season just you got dalton for a reason you got Dalton, and you're not you know, like you got. You got <laughs> oh, see now, now, oh, oh, it's like that in the streets. All right, you. How dare you, Carmen? How dare you mention Nick Foles' name on this show? I'm uh, sorry, listen, I'll but say it's this. true. No, no, we don't. We don't. First of all, listen. I didn't say anything when you brought up Trask, and because since there was a chance that the Bears may have drafted Kellen Mund, now those are two names that I don't speak because I don't speak second and third round quarterback after getting a first round quarterback. That's how. <laughs> Don't how, either, but. Yeah, yeah, that's how bougie I am right now because we have Justin Fields. Uh, I was talking to someone from KC I and I asked him, I said, you know what? I, I've been thinking this. If Patrick Mahomes starts at the end of that season, you guys probably still a Super Bowl, to be honest with you, because there's no tape on him. Right? I mean, just at that. I mean, he's freaky. And also, this is the thing, too, with, with Patrick Mahomes. You have Andy Reid. That's like the biggest difference between here in Chicago with Justin Fields and talking about how to bring him along is Andy Reid was doing that. And we still don't know what we have or we don't we don't we know what we have in Matt Nagy and he hasn't proven that he can do what Andy Reid did with Patrick Mahomes. So he comes from the Reid tree. You'd hope that that that's kind of in there, you know, for all those years with Andy. Uh, But no, I mean, there's there's no replicating Andy Reid. And there's, there's very few people that can call plays like Andy Reid can that can devise offensive schemes like Andy Reid can. Uh, so again, I'm just like, do you have the resources and everything to, to really bring him along and, and make sure he's ready? I don't know. Mm-mm. I don't know. It must be nice. It must be nice. I know. I get to sit up here and, you know, my quarterback who's in his 22nd year in this league. Wow. Just shine on us. Carmen, we really appreciate it. Everybody, make sure you check out all her work at TampaBayBuccaneers.com. Follow her at Carmi B. Uh, keep up the great work. Now, now knowing that you're from this area, it hats off to you. Keep on striving. Really like to hear that, even though you just 
you just disrespected the bears all over the streets up here. I'm joking. I'm joking. I didn't. I like didn't. told him off. Whatever. Like I, I know it's nice. I know. Listen, when you're rich, you're rich. All right. And you I'm you have like embarrassment of riches. I'm looking long term. Like I got, you. I got you. I'm like that marshmallow experiment with kids. Like I would have taken. I would have waited for the other marshmallow to get two marshmallows. All right. So that's okay. like the delayed gratification. Okay, uh, we'll we'll check thing. it out. We'll check it out, and we will also check you out. I look forward to you coming back on the show later on during the season, and you have a terrific day. Thanks so much for having me. Welcome to that Davis Show and friends of the show we've had on plenty of times. Mark Grody, Chicago Bears sideline reporter for De- reporter for WSCR Radio. Also, you could take him filling in sometimes. All right, you can see Grody everywhere, but Grody, since this is a Grody show right here, is this is full on Grody. Tell me about the podcast, man. I was sitting there perusing through your timeline today, and I see you got a new podcast or something. Yeah, I appreciate you asking about it. It is a new experience. I'm working with this thing called the Podcast Entertainment Network. It's a brand new network that I've gone in with a with a few friends, business partners, I suppose you could you could put it as. And I've been doing a, a list podcast, but now to add to the fun. I've decided to finally add a sports podcast, and it is the, I don't even know if I can get the title right now, it's the App Mark Grody Sports Super Duper Podcast Show or something like that. It's a ridiculous title, and we did that on purpose because we don't want to take ourselves too seriously, and the reason for the title, Ken, is that my Twitter handle is at Mark Grody Sports. And I often get my balls busted for being the sports guy at the sports radio station that says he is at Mark Grody Sports. I'm, I'm the sports guy. I stole it. Like, I am on the ground floor for Mr. Sports. So I decided to kind of play on that. But, yeah, just launched it. And it's going to be, like, maybe, like, 20 minutes of hardcore serious sports. And then we'll have some fun. I'll do some of my silly impersonations. We'll try to do some skits and just kind of make it a sports variety show. But I appreciate you asking about it, man. Thanks. I had to. I had to. I, I saw that. I have to listen to it. I, I didn't have enough time today. Today's been pretty busy, but I definitely plan on checking it out. I appreciate you, man. Always. Always back at you. So let's dive into this Bears, unfortunately. And I say unfortunate, <laughs> Mark, because I feel there's a part of me that feels like that I'm in a good mood right now, and Sunday night may be the prolonged period of time where I'm not in a good mood, especially when we have to provide content that's surrounding the Bears if the Bears aren't going well. So Brad Biggs from the Tribune reported that Eddie Goldman is doubtful for this game. Looking at past games versus the Los Angeles Rams, part of the key was stopping the run and forcing it on Jared Goff. Now Jared Goff is gone, and now it's a whole better quarterback in Matthew Stafford, but particularly when it comes to stopping the run, what's your expectation with Eddie Goldman out, and who steps into that 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 role first? I know I know they brought in two uh, defensive tackles, but also Kyrus Tonga being drafted in the latter rounds of the draft. Who's going to step up? Because I'm leery of Bilal Nichols having to move over again uh, from the five technique. Yeah, absolutely. And I I imagine that Bilal Nichols will cover some of it. You mentioned the rookie 
seventh rounder Kyrus Tonga as well. I'm not sure how ready he is at this point. I mean, all of the grades on him in camp have been positive, but that doesn't mean he's ready for the prime time. So I think Tonga will get some run. Another guy who's had a very successful camp has been Angelo Blackson. So I imagine that he will, he probably would have been in the rotation anyway, but we'll have to see how they use them and rotate those guys. And I think it's going to be a matter of what they see is working best in that regard. And it is tough. I mean, finally, it looked like we were going to see, and we haven't seen a lot of it over the last two, three years. And that is those two guys, Akeem Hicks being on the field at the same time as Eddie Goldman. Just we haven't seen a lot of it, and you've seen the effects of it. So, yeah, he, he is doubtful, and it, I, I've been there every day this week. It doesn't feel good. Doubtful prob- probably means he's not going to play. It just feels that way because he hasn't stepped on the practice field. Haven't seen him one time in the last couple of days. So, yeah, I think you're going to have to figure out, at least for this week, life without without him, without Eddie Goldman. And I, I unfortunately, I don't have a great answer for, for exactly who is going to be the stalwart in that spot, but I think they're going to try everybody, or those three guys that I mentioned. Grody, being the fact that you had your eyes on this, t- this team the entire camp, did you notice any differences from the last two years compared to this camp outside of, of course, it not being in Bourbon A and it being at Hallis Hall? Yeah, I mean, because everything was so messed up last year, obviously, with, with COVID, there really wasn't much of a camp. So they, one of the goals that Matt Nagy had had this year was moving things along a little bit more quickly, like having the pace be more rapid while they were out there on all the fields. I think I did see some of that, like the movement compared to previous years that I've, I've covered training camp and I, I i don't really know what that means exactly or if that helps in any way shape or form i imagine it's just a way to keep everybody on the same page and keep attention high out there so yeah i mean i, I thought it was a a pretty good camp overall um you know there you always have guys that stand out in training camp and you know make names for themselves and we saw some of that during this camp as well so you know we'll see what it all means and, and I think that the biggest part of, of training camp for all of us or those of us who cover it is that we were so locked in on every move that Justin Fields made that this was and it took me you know this long to get to that and when you ask about training camp it was about Justin Fields <laughs> and staring him to, forget everything else I just said that was all a bunch of BS but I, all that malarkey I just made up what was that it was about <laughs> justin fields and every step that dude took and who he was playing with and where the ball was being thrown and who he was what offensive line was out there with forget everything else it was about justin field all right since uh, i'll get back to matt Nagy in a minute since you brought up justin all right if 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 mark grody and of course that david show this is mark grody on with this follow him at mark grody sports um if you had your druthers how would you bring Justin Field along, Coach Mark Grody? Hmm. Well, I actually think that they've done a pretty good job so far with the way that they have handled him, just because, honestly, we've seen development in him from the first couple of days of training camp. And I remember watching those first couple practices of his and watching Justin Fields make mistakes and seeing a huge gap between Andy Dalton and Justin Fields, as in Dalton looked a lot better. And I've been saying it, 
throughout this camp. It's bumper to bumper now. Like, the gap has been closed. We have seen development out of him. That is Justin Fields. And he is so close to, to being ready or passing up or at least getting even with Andy Dalton. So h- how would I develop him and bring him in? I, I think it would be really smart at this point to have – to get him out there, I know that there's there is a there is a divide on whether or not Justin Fields should come in and start a clean game, or maybe you have certain packages for Justin Fields where he comes in, whether it's red zone or goal line or something else. It doesn't have to be those two things. I do think it would be smart to get him a taste of that, not only for his sake and getting a taste in an NFL game in which he is not completely responsible for if Andy Dalton is starting, but also because. The dude is a playmaker, and you just mm. – the Bears have been starving for not just a quarterback for all these years, man, but playmakers. They've got one guy who is legit in that regard, Allen Robinson. He's a playmaker. Darnell Mooney might be. David Montgomery might be. Cole Komet might be. But right now, we know that Robinson is, and I'm pretty damn sure that Justin Fields is a playmaker too. So I'd like to see them bring him in, even in this game against the Rams, and I would like to see them start him sooner than later, like in the first somewhere in the first five games of the year, just because you got to see it. You got to see what he has, and if he really has closed the gap the way I think he has. I'm with you, Grody. I was a bye week guy, and just watching him throughout camp and preseason, I got to week three. Well, I was kind of like, you know what? We can hasten this pace up. <laughs> about with you early in the first quarter, like you said, about week five. Um, yeah. Any? Now listen. I have a I have some hesitance with starting him. I think they should have a package for him in every in every uh-huh. at least every half, if not twice. But I'm leery because of the offensive line, and it it it. it it's frustrating, and I, I I know that a lot of people aren't fans of Charles Leno Jr., um, but to sit there and to cut him when you at least had someone that's serviceable at left tackle and you would have only had to worry about right tackle, it, it, it seems like you're going to cut your nose to spite your face, and it, it came to, to fruition as far as what happened with this offensive line. What are your expectations for this offensive line, how low, how how much, how many games, for instance, do you believe Jason Peters has in him? Because I think it's asking a lot if you think he can stay healthy for the entirety of the season. I mean, I think the the bear. I think optimistically, half the season, maybe, maybe. Um, I mean, we're gonna find out pretty quickly. You know, we're we're gonna know probably in this game against the Rams what kind of shape he is in whether he is able to remain stable at that left tackle and that and and the the scary part is too is that his backup is a rookie in Larry Borum and I think that we can all say like I'm pretty high on Larry Borum but he is a fifth round pick and he's a rookie so to the idea of just throwing him in there and thinking he is ready is just not a, a realistic option at this point. So, yeah, I mean, I, we're going to find out a, a lot about Jason Peters. But, I, I mean, I agree with you about the offensive line. And, and there is the theory of, all right, well, since Justin Fields is an elusive, you know, mobile quarterback, he might be better suited for this offensive line if it is to break down. And I'm like, no, 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 that's a bunch of garbage, in my opinion. Me too. Because he's going to be running a lot. And you know what? Players who run, they get tackled sometimes. Sometimes they get hit. So, 
you know, and Andy Dalton, it, his his act is getting rid of the ball, and Justin Fields' act is running. So I think that there's more inherent danger actually with a running quarterback than there is with somebody like Andy Dalton who has the ability to or the want to throw the ball away. So early on, I bought into that. I got to admit, I've kind of flip-flopped on this. I bought into the idea that Justin Fields, well, you got to get him in there against us. No, you don't want your rookie going out there. And yeah, he, he might make splash plays, you know, running plays, but maybe the sixth time he has to run and avoid the, the, the pass rush of Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd, maybe that's the time he gets hurt. So I just, I don't like the idea of it. And I think the offensive line is going to be um, unless they surprise us, you know, unless, you know, Jason Peters is what he once was or to some degree, I, I think it's going to be a work in progress all year. It might be like last year where in the last five or six games, remember when they realigned everything and they they came up with gold and Sam Mustafer and getting Cody White here back to guard. And it's, you know, obviously good that James Daniels is back this year. So your interior is good. But until they know that those two outside guys are the stalwarts you need in the NFL, you're, you're going to see a pretty conservative game plan out of Matt Nagy, which I think for some some purposes might be good. Yeah, and I agree with you. Uh, one, when you're talking about just Justin Fields' plan now and him running around, one, we're not even sure how, after how many plays that he can read the entirety of the field. So he, he may be a one, two read guy. And what I mean by that is he is going to make him take off running more often if, since he can't read the entirety of the field, which leads to your point of getting hurt because you're running all the time. I'm, I'm not a fan of he can run, put him in. I'm, a, I'm, I'm like, get this line together because you saw what Juan Castillo could do, as you just said last season, with trying to figure out which guys fit and becoming a cohesive unit. Let them try to become a cohesive unit. Jason Peters just got into camp. So let that take place. All right. That's, that's, how I feel in that direction. I want to get to Matt Nagy. Yesterday, um, he, he was asked a question about what made him kind of change his mind since last season about taking over the play call again. And he really didn't give a clear answer. And I, I, my question when I thought about this interviewing you today, has he given clearer answers since the, he's decided to re reclaim the play call? Because, I mean, outside of bravado, and if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out on my shield. I don't have a real reason on why he took back the play call. And look, personally, and I don't know Matt Nagy like that. I like Matt Nagy. Like, yeah. he, even though he's going to be frustrating what happens on the field, I kind of like, he seems like a guy that I could vibe with. Bravado is a great word. I think that is part of it, honestly. The best I can do to answer that question. And no, he hasn't really given a succinct answer. But he, he has said this a number of times. He loves to call plays. He has said that. He, he loves doing it. I think, he, I think it was excruciating for him last year when he gave up the play calling to Bill Lazor. I think he hated it. And I think he knew it was almost like taking medicine. Like, okay, I'm going to do this. But uh, I, I, it's going to be – I don't care. Like, if Bill Lazor was calling plays where the Bears scored 35 points a game – Matt Nagy, damn it, he was taking play calling back. That is what he feels like his worth is as a head coach. He may be underestimating himself. You know what I mean? Like he, he came in here and it's been all about offense and let, you know, Vic Fangio and Chuck Pagano and now Sean decide, let them deal with the defense. I, I got the offense. I got the quarterback. And Unfortunately for Matt Nagy, he has not lived up to that yet. His offenses have been average at best 
since he came in. Can a coach get better? Can a coach develop into a better play caller? Yeah, I think that that is possible. But Matt Nagy still has to show it. So I think there it, there is there's a lot of pressure on Matt Nagy going into this year. And if the offense is not good, say, <coughs> excuse me, you know, three or four games into it, will he give up play calling again? Because he said the reason he did it is because, you know, he holds his players accountable and he held himself accountable. So I guess he would have, unless he's changing his overall philosophy, he would have to hold himself accountable again. But the, but the answer is he loves play calling, and it doesn't get any you know better than that in terms of an answer that I would be able to give you. That Davis Show with Bear Salah, reporter for WSCR, Mark Grody. Mark, let me ask you this, and I asked Matt Nagy this, and I want to know your opinion. Will he really commit to the run this season? And in your heart of hearts, can a leopard change his spots? The, the good money is on no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to answer this anymore because I'm the one who keeps saying, yes, yes, he's, he gets it. He understands it. I think it was at the, the last time I was at a, a combine. I guess it was after 2019. Oh, no, it was the, it was the pan, whatever. But anyway, he, he talked about how, yeah, I mean, he's got to run more. He's got to run more. He's got to, yeah, I know, I know. I got to play to to my player's skill set. I have to play to the talent. We need time of possession. I mean, he talks about it a lot, but we just haven't seen it from Matt Nagy. And last year, you know, David Montgomery ended up, you know, in the last five games, he was looking elite as a running back. I mean, he fi- we finally saw the full David Montgomery. So mm-hmm. hopefully Matt Nagy saw the same thing. And maybe he has, because the one thing that I feel like Matt Nagy has never had is complete trust in a running game. And that if one play goes backwards, like literally you lose a yard, he abandoned it. So I don't know, man. I'd like to think he will. And I think that they're in a position where they have to because you have a strong interior of your offensive line at this point. And they're going to be, I mean, the Rams defense is damn good i mean they were number one last year and there 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 shouldn't be much tail there's no reason why they would fall off the map this year in terms of defense so i think i think Nagy will understand that he has to to run it but i i've, I've said that before so i can i don't want to get burned i just don't want to get burned i feel, I I feel you yeah i feel yeah. you. I, you know? look i want to ask you a question about shot Desai. I was on a podcast and someone asked me about his future and they were kind of insinuating that down the line, if he's successful, could he perhaps take over the starting job? That's not the question I want to ask you. But I, I said something to them that I hadn't spoken aloud, but had been in my mind in the past. And it was, and I wish the best for Sean decide. I believe he's as intelligent as everyone says. But in a situation where you have a coach that's kind of on the hot seat, how many big name coordinators were going to take that job? Like, so, like, I, I'm happy he has the job, but I, I'm ask, I guess the question I'm asking, does he have it by default because nobody else is going to come in here for one year and perhaps be fired with Matt Nagy? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a good point. And it really hasn't come up enough, you know, in terms of the the candidates that came through Hal's Hall for that job. And I, and I agree with you too. It does seem like Sean Desai checks all the boxes in terms of his competency as a coordinator. I will say this though, that I don't know how hot the Matt Nagy seat is because honestly, the, his bosses have given no indication 
of of that. And I know Ryan Pace and and Matt Nagy are kind of one and the same in terms. So so Ryan Pace has supported him obviously. George McCaskey, the chairman of the board, has supported him and given no reason for us to think that he he's on any kind of hot seat. It's easy for us to project that just because, you know, I mean, back-to-back eight in seasons the last two years and underperforming on offense. But I don't know that his seat is as hot as other coaches are in the NFL. It's probably a little bit warm, and if things go really badly, like a three- or four-win season, then the seat will get hot. But I, I, I think that he has more job security than people think, although the outside perception may, may be different, and that might have kept some coordinators from wanting to work here. Mm, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. Last one. Well, actually, it's a two-parter. What's your expectations for this game? And then later on, your expectations for this season? First of all, I don't do two-parters. So, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's not in my contract. I tell, I told your producer, no two-part questions. I don't do that crap. Apologies. <laughs> well, wait, what, what was the first question? What do you expect to happen in this upcoming game Sunday night? Oh, man. Yeah, so I'm already on record as saying I think that, that this one's this is going to be a tough one for the Bears. I do think that the Rams are going to win it. I, I think I'm going Rams. I think it's going to be close because, you know, every NFL game is close and it's the beginning of the year and everybody's hyped and healthy. I think it's going to be a Rams 24-17 to 17 win. Um, you know, it's it's Matthew Stafford, and I, I he, he's dangerous. The Bears have seen him. They are familiar with his work. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to help the Bears because we've seen Matthew Stafford burn the Bears in the past. I mean, we're not talking like a ex or a um, you know Aaron Rodgers effect with Matthew Stafford. I don't want to overdo it. I just think that from a they know who they are on offense. Mm-hmm. They they know we know who Robert Woods is. We know who Cooper Cup is. We know what that defense is and what that identity is. I think the Bears are still trying to figure it out, and I just think pound for pound right now. The LA Rams are a better team. So I'm going with the Rams uh, 24 to 17. And then the second part to your dangerous two part question what was it? The expectations for this upcoming season for the Bears. Oh, yes. All right. So until for, so the Bears have been 8 and 8 the last two seasons. I have not seen anything from the Bears in this preseason or in camp that would lead me to think that they are better than that. Obviously, they can't be eight and eight because of the extra game. So I'll, I'll give them, I'll give them the plus side. I'll, I'll give them nine wins this year, nine and eight. That and and obviously, so much of this is subject to change on what happens at the quarterback spot. Justin Fields can change the equation. I just need to see it. I need to see this team take that next level up, and maybe they will because there's so much we didn't see in the preseason in terms of preserving players and those guys that I mentioned. If they go to the next level. But in terms of giving a prediction on the season, I can't assume those guys are going to go to the next level. And so I got the Bears at nine and eight as we sit here right now. Grody, always love you keeping it a a buck and being honest. Make sure everyone goes and checks out the Mark Grody Super Duper podcast. All right. Whatever it's called. Yeah. Check it. Check it out. Follow him at Mark Grody Sports. You do a fantastic job. I'll talk to you down the line, Mark. Thanks, Ken. I appreciate it.